Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive me, you forgive us, Lord, of our sins and our iniquities and shortcomings and transgressions and those things, Lord, that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you have kept us in good health and perfect peace, Lord. And I'm asking, Lord, as we continue to head towards the promised land, that you guide us, Lord, and continue to keep us and let us be found worthy of obeying your spirit and doing all that you command us to do, Lord. For you are a mighty and righteous God. You know all things and you do all things. And I'm asking, Lord, that we live a life that is pleasing to you. I'm asking that all demonic and spiritual attacks, Lord, that come against us in the dark, Lord, shed light on them that they may be known, that we may not live in deception, that we may have an understanding, Lord, as to what this whole thing is about, that we no longer see through glasses darkly, Lord, but given revelation by your spirit that we understand all things that you want us to. Lord, let us be seekers of your word, seekers of your truth. Let us never get tired of prayer and fasting. Never let, never let us, Lord, cease from doing the good things, Lord, that you have called us to do. For when you have directed our paths, Lord, there is nothing that can come between it but us. So I'm asking that we keep our eyes focused on you. I'm asking, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit, Lord, of rejection, every spirit of unbelief, every Antichrist spirit, every Jezebel spirit, every Ahab spirit, Lord, all spirits, Lord, that go against you, all false religions, all things, Lord, that have bound your people, let them be silenced, let them be moved, let them be taken away, Lord, and let the Holy Ghost fall on us mightily, giving us all understanding, empowering these vessels to do a mighty work before you, an everlasting and righteous God, faithful and true, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are worthy, Lord, and you alone. There is none else beside you. Lord God, I'm asking that you do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, tonight's study is going to be called Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, and Casting Down Imaginations. Okay, so that's going to be important because one way that the devil has tried to come against the people of God is to play in man's imagination. His thing of making us feel that we're more than we are, or his, or his thing that makes us feel that we're less than we are, but what we want to be or have revealed to us is what the Holy Ghost tells us that we are through faith. All the potential we can have, all the things that we can be in Christ, but we should never put the cart before the horse and jump before the Lord. What we want to be is righteous and walking in his ways, and, and being guided by him. We're not supposed to be three steps behind. We're not supposed to be one step ahead. We're supposed to walk as he walks. So we're going to see in this study 
who Nimrod is, what the Tower of Babel was really about, mm -hmm. and what's going on today, and how those imaginations were used in order to turn man against God. Okay, so before we get started, Christina's going to present. You have something to present. All right, so um, you guys will present, and um, we'll just go from there. But it should be a really good study. So I'm going to have you turn to Psalm 1. Right. So what I'm going to talk about today is mainly about how seeking the Lord, those people who seek the Lord become more faithful um, than those who seek popular religion. Um, Christianity, Christianity, I can't even talk. All right, <laughs> Christianity has really generated into um, a culture where everyone wants to be liked, mm -hmm. everyone wants acceptance, everyone wants to get along, not hurt people's feelings, and we've really lost the power in um, what the gospel says, and sticking up for that, and sticking up for our values, and not compromising, which we've talked about before. But I just kind of want to go into, um, you know, there's a difference between being a good person and a godly person. Um, and one key word that stuck out to me as I've been studying the Bible is, like, righteous. Like, that's doing things God's way. And mm -hmm. a lot of people um, in the churches try to be righteous and good, but then they forget all the process to get there. The, you know, what Christ asks of you to get there. And that's really what we need to focus on. Um, a lot of people just focus on they want to be blessed, but they don't want to do the things to get there. They just want the results. Um, so, first I'm going to read Psalm 1. So, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, so what he enjoys, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, doth he meditate day and night. So being in our Bible day and night, wanting to hunger for the Lord's word. Three, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he do shall prosper. So, a lot of people want to seek that prosper, okay? But they don't want to do what the second verse said before and delight in the law of the Lord. They forget that part. So, okay, going back down to four. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. So, blow from each side, wishy-washy. Um, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of ungodly shall perish. So, right there kind of defines a little bit of righteous too, and says, you know, unless you do the things of the Lord, the law of the Lord, which is Christ built in you and following him, maturing in Christ, then you're going to perish. Um, let's go to Matthew 5 and 3. 
So it's kind of crazy how the Lord works. I was sitting down to, um, you know, put together what I wanted to talk about today, and the word blessed just kept coming into my mind, and um, what that really means versus what society has this image of, Mm -hmm. but something wasn't sitting right with me either, like there was another word that I felt like needed to go with it, um, that a lot of people miss, and the Lord just told me separation, so Blessed and separation. I'm going to kind of dive deeper into what those mean um, today through scripture. Um, what do you guys think blessed means? Yeah. It's having the Lord's favor. Okay. Given. Yeah. And so I looked it up in my concordance, and it, the Greek um, definition of blessed is to be fortunate, well off, and happy. So happy kind of stuck out to me. Um, do you consider yourself blessed, and are you happy? Um, when bad things happen to you. That's something to kind of think about. Because um, as children of God, if we, we should be, we are blessed. You know, we are fortunate that the Lord has chased us and sought after us to be able to hear and receive his word and use us as um, vessels fit to serve him. But we can't be like, oh, I had a bad day today and I'm unhappy or this happened so I'm unblessed. Like, you can't go into that thinking. So really it's a state of continuing to be happy because you have the spirit in you. And he's continuing to work in you. Um, and now let's go deeper into what blessed means. Um, so Matthew 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So doing the law of the Lord. For they shall be filled. So faith, that's your faith. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, gentleness. Blessed are the pure in heart. So love, for they shall see God. God knows your heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted. So that's like long-suffering for righteousness' sake. And I know I talked on the dualism um, study that we did. I talked a little bit about how, um, you know, John was persecuted for delivering and proclaiming um, God's word. And right here it's saying we're supposed to be persecuted for righteousness, Um, And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall uh, revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So people will think you're talking about hate speech and disliking people when you talk about scripture and the word of God. Um, Twelve, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. So the prophets, you know, they were, they're our leader. They're what we're supposed to follow after. You know, Jesus being the main one, Christ, he's our, who's built in us, he's our way. But if we're supposed to be like Christ and work things out in our life, 
all these things pertain to us. And none of these say, blessed are thee with money, and blessed are thee, you know, who are just nice to everyone and get along with everyone, and blessed are these who are prosperous. Um, all these things, there's something you have to sacrifice to be happy. There's some work you have to put in there for the Lord in order to reach that happiness and favor of the Lord. You have to serve him first. So let's go to um, Luke 31. Oh, wait. Luke 6. Yeah. Luke 6 and 27. Just kidding. We're going to do Luke 6 and 20. All right. So this is to kind of support that last scripture, and then I'll add some at the end. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger for now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep, so sad of this world, for ye shall laugh. 22, blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate, think that separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. Um, so falsely accuse you, and persecute you, isolate you. 23, rejoice in ye in the, that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is is great in heaven. So we're supposed to um, go after the things and love the things that are in heaven, not the things of this world. For in the like manner did their father unto the prophets. Now, but woe, which means pronouncing unto you, um, 24, unto you that are rich. For ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, so full right now, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers of false prophets. So um, if people are speaking like, you know, if it's a popularity contest and everyone loves you, then, you know, I mean, it's okay to be liked, but you need to make sure it's of God, and you're gonna, if, but if you're fully giving the word of God, there's gonna be someone that's not gonna like what you have to say, because it's gonna be offensive, um, and so we just gotta watch that, um, and watch the things that, what it really means to be happy, what it means to be blessed in the favor of the Lord, um, and not with our carnal minds, and with the things that we want in this life, but really crucifying the flesh, and following the spirit of the Lord, and what he wants, not what we want, um, just want to go to, um, I, actually I'm going to read at 27, but I say unto you, which here love your enemies, do good to them, which hate you, bless them that curse you and pray for them, which despitefully use you. So next I want to talk about the separation. So as followers of Christ, you know, we're not evenly yoked with the people who are our enemies. 
That doesn't mean, as the scripture just said, that we shouldn't bless them, love them, pray for them, because that's how we show them our light and how we are supposed to be bringing them into the kingdom and help saving them. Um, but at the same time, we're not supposed to fellowship with them. 1 Corinthians 10.21 says, Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the devil's. So that separation is a huge key to being able to fully follow Christ and get out of your flesh. Um, it was one of the hardest things for me on my walk with God. And like, it's, it's really easy to, well, it wasn't easy, but it was my first step was sanctifying myself and cleaning things out of my flesh and my stop sinning. And um, after that, it was, oh no, now I have no friends, like everyone, like that isolation, that separation was happening. And then I would try to hang out with my old friends, but there's such a different mindset going on. It's complete opposite. Um, and you can't compromise yourself for that. And I just want to go and show in Luke, this is my Luke 12, go to Luke 12, my last one. Luke 12 and... Forty-nine. So this is going to kind of um, go back on that separation, which is part of being blessed, which we just read in Luke, and being persecuted in Matthew. So Luke 49, um, 12 and 49. I am come to send fire on the earth. So fire, that's Christ's judgment. This is in Jesus' red ink words. And what will I, if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? So straight and narrow is the way. You do not part from it or compromise, especially from the law of the Lord. 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you, nay, but rather division. So Christ is telling you right here, he's not coming to bring peace on earth and bring all of humanity together. I mean, as servers of Christ, we are supposed to be trying to get people to come to Christ so they can be saved. But there is, you know, God's way is the way. And he says, nay, but rather division. So he's coming to divide the evil from um, the righteous. For from henceforth there shall be five in one household divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So again, we need to be seeking the things um, of heaven and our heart we need to bestow um, and the treasures of the Lord and what he's telling us to do and working out and realize it's important for us to separate ourselves from, you know, walking and drinking and um, eating with those that are not followers of Christ. Because when you do that, then you start to lean and compromise your beliefs. I'm not saying you can't go with somebody who, um, you know, the Lord is asking you to go you know, talk to about the Lord and try to bring them to Christ. He's going to do that. Right. Um, but to be strengthened, the main people that you're spending time with should be Christ-like people. Um, because there is going to be division. He said he's not coming to bring peace on earth. And 
Don't let anything get in the way of your salvation from that. So. Perfect. All right, so I'm going to call this little segment, What are the aspects of a willing vessel? I'm going to have everyone go to Joel chapter 3 and 9. Joel and the Minor Prophets. Three and nine. So, um, why am I starting there? So, the aspects of a willing vessel are willingness and readiness. And we're going to look at a couple of things that. Um, constitutes that because as we were talking about beforehand about prayer and fasting and really getting closer to the Lord and being separated uh, even what Christina said in her segment about separation uh, from this you know, being, we have to be separated from the world separated from everything that is in it and be willing to be servants and followers of Jesus Christ but it's also a spiritual warfare that, that takes place as well so Joel chapter 3 and 9 Proclaim this, ye among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, let the weak say, I am strong. So, as we know, God's word in, like, everywhere talks about spiritual warfare, not just in the New Testament, but it talks about it in the Old Testament as well. You know, when he, he had the children of the children of Israel and what he did with them, what he wanted to do with them going forward into the promised land. And we saw in Numbers 13 what, what, he's, you know, what he wanted them to do and like, hey, go forward. You know, if you have me, you got nothing to fear. Just go forward. Look what all I've done for you. Why are you stopping now? And you know, what happened was they had to be circled back in the wilderness for 40 years until another generation was brought up. But this is a spiritual warfare. So if we're in a battlefield, if we're in a battle zone, then we have to have our armor on. We have to have our, you know, not carnal means, but everything in Ephesians 6 that it talks about that we would have to have on, all the armor that we have to have on. And it is a warfare. Like, you got individuals that may talk about persecution, may talk about tribulation and trials that are going to come, but they themselves don't really believe it. They don't think it's going to happen in their time. So when something comes on them, they're not prepared for it. They're not really seeing the spiritual warfare that's around them like we have the privilege of seeing because, you know, our eyes have been open to what's going on. And so we have the knowledge of the truth and we have the armor that we need to put on. And, you know, 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. So be sober, not just like be sober from not drinking, be sober, but as in awaken, let your eyes be open, be vigilant. Why are we vigilant? Because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And that is something that he is doing in great numbers today. You know, and if you think about it, the one, and I don't, I don't, use, I don't like to use the word religion, but Christianity in and of itself is a religion because it's very broad these days. But the one faith that is attacked the most because it brings forth the truth if it's taught properly and correctly and under Jesus Christ with the spirit of discernment is the Christian faith. 
He's not attacking Buddhism. He's not attacking Islam and Catholicism and all the other religions that have the vast majority of people following them. He's taught. He's attacking the one that's bringing forth the truth. And that's why we have to be careful in seeking the Lord because he is our adversary. He's God's adversary. And if we are followed Jesus Christ, he is our adversary. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to be sober. That's why we have to be vigilant. That's why we have to understand that this is a spiritual warfare. Real quick, let's go to Luke 22 and 39. Luke today. <laughs> the book of Luke. All right, Luke 22 and 39. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So that's something that, you know, if Christ is doing this right before he died, because this is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if he, when he was in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. That's something that we should be doing as well. When we're in that agony, we're in that, we're in that place of, you know, getting ready to go to the next level, and we can feel something is trying to pull us back, that's when we should be pushing even further to go forward. All right, uh, and his sweat was, as it were, gra great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he was come unto his disciples. He found them sleeping from sor for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise up and pray, lest ye enter into, into temptation. And, you know, that's something that I have dealt with too, is that, you know, we, I get attacked in my sleep at times, or I, I just get like this strange demonic force over, presence over me, or whatever, I feel like, you know, temptation, the demons are trying to pull me back in. You know, I get up and I pray, I pray through it, I pray it out. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like, it's that, it's that breaking point of going forward in Christ or going back into temptation. So, because that's what the enemy's going to try and do. He's going to try and keep us or try and pull us back. And it's a daily, hourly, co constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. And, you know, it's a constant tug of war going back and forth in us. And, you know, the breaking point or the pushing forward point is, you know, casting or having the Lord cast the demons out of us. And that we can move forward in Him, and that there can be that breakthrough process in our lives that we're willing to do everything that He wants us to do, being set free from the demonic spirits, the demonic, you know, because they're constantly coming at us, and Satan is constantly wanting to, you know, keep us in this present day life. And as we know, with everything that's going on around us, that we're not exactly sure how much time that we have left. And that's why it's like we constantly have to seek Him in everything that we do. So, real quick, let's go to 2 Corinthians 16. Wait a minute. Okay. Uh, that's fine. I didn't write down the chapter. So, anyways, um, 
But yeah, it, the aspects of a willing vessel is just being able to take on uh, the full armor, being able to go into the spiritual warfare and everything. So. Yeah, awesome. Also, you know, um, you guys brought up great points, I mean, concerning um, all of that. I was going to say, because we did a teaching, um, like you were talking about happiness going on and on, mm -hmm. like, you know, whatever. I like to use the term, like the Bible does, as joy. Mm -hmm. Because joy, and this is one of the things, when you go into Matthew 5 and you read down, mm -hmm. like the whole Sermon on the Mount, it was, he was really, you remember what he was talking about? Yeah, I'm sorry. What are you looking at? I found where I was going to read. Oh, uh, I guess you could present it after. Yes. But it was actually the nine fruit of the Spirit oh, is yeah. what he was talking about mm -hmm. in the Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, he talked about having joy and, you know, doing those other things. I like to say joy because to me, happiness just seems kind of, you know, state. iffy. Oh, yeah. You know, like, all right, if something good happens, I'm happy. But joy really is that thing that the Spirit gives you where you just feel like, man, I don't even care. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I just lost my car. Thank you, Lord. I had a car to lose. Now, that would be so foreign, you know, to a lot of people and stuff. But it really is what's in the Spirit. So, I mean, that was great what you brought up. Um, Sarah, too, with the... Um, yeah, but there was something else I was trying to remember. Oh, well. But, I mean, no, they were they were both great, what you guys presented. But it was just so funny when I made that connection with the um, fruit of the Spirit and what he was talking about. Because when he said, blessed are the poor for they, you know, he was into long-suffering, temperance, goodness, faith, meekness, you know. And it was like just all coming. The meek shall inherit the earth. Mm -hmm. So... You see many times like the nine fruit of spirit are all throughout this Bible and they always come in sections, like in pieces, like when Paul tells us that we should suffer long and everything. And the only way you will have that is having the spirit of the Lord behind you. I mean, like you guys were saying, that's the only way it's, it's Christ who's standing there. It ain't you, you know, we're just a house that, you know, can do absolutely nothing, but it's the Christ that's in us that makes everything happen. Uh, let's go to uh, Psalm 2. I want to start with a psalm, and then we'll get right into it. But this should be a very good study. Not because I'm doing it, but because it's one of the things that, you know, we have to have an understanding why we feel the way we do and what this world really does worship and believe in. So when we get into this character, Nimrod, you guys are going to see he's all through history. You know, he is who the, the elite people of the world worship. And I believe personally he is going to be the Antichrist, that he is coming back. Okay, I think Jesus told us in so many ways. But let's not get ahead. Psalm 2 and verse 1, and it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth uh, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that's, well, let me just uh, explain this, but notice how it says the heathen rage because they're against God. They don't know God's ways, but then it speaks of they imagine a vain thing. Now, remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4, how the vanities, um, I mean, the, um, the heathen, you know, or the Gentiles, um, they believe it, they're vain. You know, everything that they believe in has got something to do with their pride, something to do with their well-being. So they're not very God-conscious. So he's saying that the heathen imagine a vain thing, but then it says, 
the kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing. So they say, you know, let's do away with God. Let's break the bands of God, everything concerning God. Let's just do our own thing. I mean, and this is where a lot of humanism comes from is just being in the imagination outside of God. So imagination is going to be a big thing tonight as we explain. So then it says, he that sitteth in the heavens, which is the Lord, shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them uh, in his sore displeasure. So he'll take care of them when he's ready. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare uh, the decree uh, the Lord hath uh, said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for, the, for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them to pieces like the potter's vessel. So this is the Lord talking about when he comes. Millennial reign, the heathen's going to try and come up against him one last time. And he's going to deal with them. Psalm 2 is actually part 1 to Revelation 19. Okay, if you guys read that in your spare time, Revelation 19 is actually part 2 to what the Lord is going to do against those who imagine themselves to not need him, to be greater than him, and to try and go beyond him. And this is man's problem ever since Adam and Eve took, took a part of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. So then it says, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now, see, this goes back to what Christina was bringing up as far as like that constant state of, you know, having that happiness or that joy. It's saying serve the Lord with joy, with trembling. Now, in a carnal mind, you would look at that as who's going to serve, who want to serve somebody in trembling and in, in joying mm -hmm. about it, you know. But when you are of the spirit, you got no problem doing what the Lord says because the spirit reveals to you. God is no joke. <laughs> He's not a game, you know. He's our father. He loves us, but he means what he says. All right, so then it says, um, verse uh, 12, kiss the son, Let's, let he be angry, and he perish from the way, uh, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are, are all they that put their trust in him. So, you know, it's all about not thinking of ourselves outside of the Lord, not letting our imagination get the best of us. I've made this mistake before. I've laid hands on people, you know, because someone was healed. The Lord healed someone one day, and I went on my own accord, laid hands on another, only to have the Lord not there. And then for me to come in prayer, well, Lord, why didn't you do this? Because I didn't tell you to do it. This person has an issue with me. We need to make this clear, and this person needs to repent of some of the things that they have done in order to receive what I'm trying to give you. So I know that may seem hard, like, Lord, why wouldn't you heal this person? Or perhaps if the person is a Buddhist, who do you think they're going to give the credit to? If the person's a Hindu, who do you think they're going to give the glory to? Or if the person even believes in that word of faith thought thing, you know, like, oh, well, if I speak it, then it becomes my reality. So they just blank God from the equation. So, you know, we always have to seek him before we do things because that's when a lot of things get done. The Lord will give us okay. But I believe you guys were moved by the Spirit to do what you did. So that's awesome. But I'm just saying what happened to me in times past where I walked off in my imagination because three people were healed in maybe a month or something. And now I think, you know what, look at this guy's situation. I'm going to go and do it. 
And if the Lord didn't tell you to do it, guess what? I mean, you the prayer and the, the, the heart was sincere. But if the spirit, you know, wants the God to deal with something or do something, then we have to make that right with the Lord. Because there are people that I've even gone to to try and preach the gospel. And the Lord told me he doesn't want me. Leave him alone. And I didn't even understand, like, Lord, but you want us to preach to everybody. But the Lord said, don't waste your time. You know, I've sent people to him. He doesn't want me. So let's move forward. And don't think that the Lord won't do that because he will. You know, when he's done with certain people, he's done with them. And I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. But I'm not saying that to show that God could not want to save somebody. It's not about that. It's about knowing your God and doing what he says. Like you talked about good things versus God things. You know, you have to have God things versus good things. You know, so that's a really important piece of dealing with that. All right, so um, from here, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Anybody want to add anything, they can. But yeah, there are some things like you really wouldn't understand. Like when you read about he didn't come to bring peace, he came to bring a sword. That's absolutely right. What Christina said, too, is what Gary Price has said. And I believe, you know, you have to separate to elevate. Because at times when you don't, this is why when people fast or they did pray, Jesus didn't go everywhere with his disciples. Sometimes he went up in the mountain by himself to pray. John the Baptist was kept in the wilderness all of his life, you know, (laughs) eating locusts and honey. Why? The Lord did not want him interacting with the world. His mission was too important that he wouldn't be distracted or interrupted. So, you know, the Lord will separate you to elevate you. Because like Christina said, and I agree, as long as you're in the world... It's like growing is just a disservice to you. It's like you you don't know right from wrong. He can't talk to you. <laughs> right. He can't talk to you because everyone else is talking to you. So that's something that, you know. It's like even with um, married couples, when they fast, they have to be separated during that time. Mm-hmm. Because if they're not and they're not, their bodies are not kept pure during that fasting time, it just kind of interrupts what God wants mm-hmm. to do with that person. Also, you know, there are times, man, I have to be shaving or something for the Lord to to speak to me, you know, because there's times I'm just too busy. I'm doing my own thing, doing what I want. And it's like nothing is getting in. There's times he's even talked to me in my sleep and, you know, helped to fill my vessel. What do you mean by shaving? Did you say shaving? Yeah, shaving. Like when I'm, you know. Like, like, like your The two strands ahead I got. You know, I'm just playing. But, um, no. (laughs) But, yeah, like when I'm shaving and, um, you know, doing whatever, facial hair, it's like that moment of silence is where the Lord can say, now I can talk to you because you're just way too busy. And sometimes it's like that. So, um, Still moments. Oh, yeah. We're going to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. She got a snazzy new Bible. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you use it better than a lot of other people. I mean, you know, someone that isn't, yeah. 2 Corinthians what? Uh, 10, verse 1. So it says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but uh, being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not behold I mean, be bold uh, when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, 
which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Mm -hmm. So what we understand here, again, you see the casting down imaginations, you know, but notice how um, he said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the Lord. So that means that in order to be, you know, have the gifts or the, the um, weapons of the Lord, we have to cast down ourselves. We have to push our own imaginations aside because the carnal mind that we were all born into having will tell you, you can't do this stuff, man. That's impossible. You know, so we need to get full of Christ and get rid of us. And this is what breaks down the stronghold. That unbelief will try to come in. Exactly. This is what tears those things down. That's why yeah, we did a spirit on unbelief, a teaching on that. And Jesus was, um, if you notice when people were mocking, he moved those people out of the room and kept those who believed in there. And then later, Peter did the same thing by moving out the people that didn't believe only for those that did. Why? Because the spirit of unbelief is strong. You don't want to contend with that. You don't believe and step aside so we can get this done. All right. So again, the imagination we find here has jumped in the way. You know, and, um, and and is trying to get man to not obey God, to go against God. So the reason I brought up the imaginations is because we're going to see with this guy, Nimrod, what he was about, how far his influence goes. And he did the exact same thing to bring a people against God. So let's get started in Genesis 10. But if you knew how influential this guy was, he's pretty much the God of every religion. I'm not even kidding. And some people think that Nimrod was someone that was always against God. He wasn't. At one point, we'll read, because he had the Lord's favor in his life, but he decided to grow and move on. And that's always the surest sign that we're going to fall and step away from the true vine. And there you have it. All right, so um, I want to get started in verse 8, because this goes into... Uh, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth's bloodline, they go over. Shem's bloodline, which the Messiah came from, you know, um, they had his lineage here. But now we're going into verse 8. Well, let's start at verse 7. But um, it, it talks about uh, Ham's bloodline. So it says, And the sons of Cush, uh, Sheba, and Havilah, and Septa, and Rama, and Satepta, Satepta, I guess, uh, and the sons of Rama, Sheba and Dedan, and Cush begat Nimrod. Nimrod is not a name anyway. It actually just means rebellious one. So it's more of a title than an actual name. All right, so it says, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, Even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, and in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kelna uh, in the land of Shinar. So he even had, if you go into verse 11, he had even Nineveh, Asher, Kala, 
I mean, this guy, uh, Mitzrayim, you know, came out of his bloodline. Mitzrayim is the father of the Egyptians. Okay, so a lot of them came from there. But Nimrod had a start even before them. So, um, quick points that I wanted to bring up. I looked up um, what Babel means. I mean, I had my own thing, but check this out. This is um, Strong's Concordance. It's H894. And um, it means Babel or Babylon. Confusion by mixing uh, Babel or Babylon, an ancient site and a capital of Babylonia, modern Hilla, uh, situated on the Euphrates. So it was actually built very close to where the Bible says that the Garden of Eden was. And I think that that is more significant than we realize. But the point is, is he became a mighty hunter before the Lord. He wasn't just a hunter. He was also a hunter of men's souls. This guy somehow, when he had all these uh, cities under him, he would have been like what you would have considered the king of the old world order. Now they're talking about a new world order. He would have been that king, that guy of the old world. All right. That was very influential. Many followed after him and did the things that he told them to do. So let's just skip to Genesis 11. We'll start at verse 1. We're going to see how the imagination comes back and what this guy Nimrod was able to do. So Genesis 11 and 1, and it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they, that, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they, and they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest uh, we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The whole earth. So basically, these guys were out for, one, to be separate of God. Two, they were looking to rule the world. And three, they wanted to make a name for themselves. So they wanted to build a city and a tower for their name, you know, so they would be recognized as great. And um, unless they, they felt like they would be scattered. Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So their plan was to go in, break the veil, go into the heavens, fight against God. I don't know how you do that, but that's what their imagination was telling them to do. So this is what they were working on. And we're going to get further into the story because I wouldn't say that there are books missing from the Bible. But what I will say that there are texts that explain more things in the Bible to, to make more sense. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I know the question comes, are there other books? Because you hear about all these missing books and most of them were not. The only thing I can think of is the Apocrypha, which um, is in the original 1611 Bible. It was like um, really a history of what you would have considered between the Testaments. Because you get a lot of people that will come up and say that, um, well, there was a blank period between when Persia took over and fell. You know, when Persia took over and then from there all the way through to where Jesus comes, the Bible says nothing about it. If you go to Daniel 11, 9 through 11, it'll explain 
and, and bits and pieces what was between the testaments. But the Apocrypha lays out the full story of what was going on, who was ruling at that time. That was the time of Alexander the Great, you know, and, and all the others. So, all right, so um, it says in verse 7, uh, Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it was called Babel, because the Lord did there confound their language of all the earth, and from thence uh, did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So um, we're going to read in detail, but I want to go to uh, Joshua 10 and verse 13. I want to make a quick point because what I'm going to be reading from is the book of Jasher. Just a couple of quick points, but uh, the Bible references Jasher several times. So, um, obviously it was a book that they knew. The book of Jasher means book of the upright one. It's Joshua 10. But we're going to get this story in detail because notice they were of one language and they were of one speech. This is the reason, believe it or not, for the internet today and why a lot of things are being done. Why you can just hit Google Translate, you know, and it's just right there before you so you can communicate with anybody you want, never taking a course in language, but you understand everything that is being said. This is being built up again. You think that was a way of the Lord dividing people? Absolutely. Yeah, he did, because we're going to find out how vile and wicked the people became in this story. It was almost like, well, they were pretty much like possessed. That they were, you, you should see how diligent they were to try and fight against the Lord. And this is why you have things today like Common Core and all this other stuff bringing everything together. Because once people are on one accord, then you only got one enemy. If there's no one to fight and Satan claims to be invisible, then you're going to fight against God. All right. Um, Joshua 10 and verse 13, and it says... And the, and the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people have had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and um, hasted not to go down about a whole day. Now this will also bring some controversy with people. I personally believe that the people of the Bible were not ignorant, that they did understand the time that they were in. They were very intelligent men that understood the things in the heavens. They understood God. Okay, They had more of a revelation of God than what you see today. So I believe when Joshua commanded, as they were at war at the time with their enemies and the sun was about to go down, when Joshua commanded the sun to stand still, I believe the sun stood still, which meant the sun itself is the one that's moving. And we got a study coming up on that, you know, and the moon was actually moving. But everybody wants to make the earth insignificant and the whole universe is advanced and growing and there's tons of galaxies. So we're just, you know, a little waste at the bottom of the toilet that no one pays attention to. That wasn't done by accident. All right, so it mentions the book of Jasher. Now let's go to 2 Samuel 1 and 18. I just wanted to bring up that the Bible references Jasher more than once. So that way no one will call me a heretic that I'm reading from something that's not in the Bible. I can't stand when you get those messages. Everybody wants to teach. And I'm like, why are you wasting your time talking to me? Go out and teach the word. 2 Samuel 1. 
in verse 18. Huh? Um, I know I recently heard uh, someone say that um, when you're learning things in the Bible, like make sure you research that it comes that those concepts and understandings come more than one or line up with other things in the scripture, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise it could be you just making that understanding up. Yeah, people will say one. that. Yeah. Right. I'm like, man, I'll show you twice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't ever talk about something I don't know anything about because it's like, that's embarrassing. People will say, do you even know what time that was? And you, well, I know it was somewhere around whatever. No, you want to know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. All right, Second Samuel um, 1 and 18, and it says, Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah and use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. All right, so you see here that people would have known. The Bible does mention a lot of books that were out. There was one on Nathan the prophet. You know, there was one on the book of the wars of the Lord that people don't know where these books are. I can tell you where they are, but I'll save that for another study. But there are people that want to hide the truth and don't want people to know certain things because the more you understand what's in these books that were taken out, the more supernatural your mind will become. But they want you natural minded. The book of Enoch is also a good reference um, concerning a lot of things in the Bible as well. All right, so... um, When it says that Nimrod became a mighty one in the earth, I do have the book of Jasher over there, but I want to read this one thing where they're trying to say that he actually um, wore a coat of the skins that Adam and Eve had. You know, Adam's coat was passed on that God made for Adam, that the coat was passed on from generation to generation. So I'm just going to read that right here. All right, this is... um, Verse 23 of chapter 7 in the book of Jasher. And it says, And Cush, the son of Ham, the son of Noah, took a wife in those days in his old age. And she bare a son, and they called his name Nimrod, saying, At the time of the sons of men um, again began to rebel and transgress against God. And the child grew up, and his father loved him exceedingly, for he was uh, the son of his old age. According to some people, they claim that when you're the youngest and your parents are older and got less energy, that you seem to be the most favorite child. You know, I don't know if that's true or what, because I wasn't the youngest. I remember getting my butt spanked every chance I got. So, but I mean, there's something about the youngest. They have God's favor in their lives. They're just, I don't know. I think parents learn to mellow out a bit, you know. So um, verse 24, and it says, And the garments, the garments of skin which God made for Adam and his wife, uh, when they went out of the garden, were given to Cush. So Cush ended up having him. For after the death of Adam and his wife, the garments were given to Enoch, the son of Jared. And when Enoch was taken up to God, he gave them to Methuselah, you know, who was um, the grandfather of Noah. He lived to be 996, verse uh, 26. And at the death of Methuselah, Noah took them and brought them to the ark. And they were with him until uh, he went out of the ark. And in their going out, Ham stole these garments from Noah, his father, and took them and hid them from his brothers. And when Ham begat his firstborn Cush, he gave his garments to him in secret, and they were with Cush many days. And Cush also concealed them from his sons and brothers. And when Cush had begotten Nimrod, uh, he gave him those garments uh, through his love for him. And Nimrod grew up 
And when he was 20 years old, he put on those garments. And Nimrod became strong when he put on the garments. And God gave him might and strength. And he was a mighty hunter in the earth. Yea, he was a mighty hunter in the field. And he hunted uh, the animals. And he built altars. And he offered upon them the animals before the Lord. And Nimrod strengthened himself. And he rose up uh, from amongst his brethren. And he fought the battles of his brethren against all their enemies round about. So at one point he had God's favor in his life. If you read down in chapter 7, Nimrod gets puffed up in pride. He moves on. But it's interesting how the coats, the coat that God gave uh, Adam and Eve, Nimrod had. So this ought to tell you they lived a long time. But when the Bible says he became a mighty one, the word means gibberim, which can mean mighty man in the Hebrew, or it can mean giant. Okay, now there are stories of, if you look at every depiction I've ever seen of Nimrod, you can see pictures of him holding a, a lion, like it's a little cub, like a little kitten to him. So was something done to him where he grew and he became that way? That's not really the, the thing I'm arguing tonight. I just found it really interesting that at one point he had God's favor in his life. You know, he moved on and did his thing and he began to rebel against God. All right, so from here, um, I want to go real quickly to, um, this is the book of Jasher, chapter 9. This one is very interesting, you know, so we have to pay attention because you're going to find in the book of Revelation that this thing is still going on. All right, so it says, um, where should I start? Because this is based on the Tower of Babel. You know, when you read in the Bible, you hear so little of what went on. Okay, they built this tower, and then what? Then God confounded the languages, and they were taken apart. So, right here, we're going to, um, I'm going to go a little further. All right, I'll start in verse 19, and it says, And Abram, which was Abraham, you know, he was Abram at the time, said unto himself, Surely these are not gods that made the earth and all mankind, but these are the servants of God. And, and Abram remained in the house of Noah, and there knew the Lord and his ways. And he served the Lord all the days of his life, and all the generations forgot the Lord, and served other gods of wood and stone, and rebelled all their days. So you see how they ended up going on, but they had help. Nimrod also was a part of this change. All right, so it says in verse 20, And King Nimrod reigned uh, securely, and all the earth was under his control. And all the earth was of one tongue and words of union. So they believed the same and they all spoke the same language. And they were all one against God, 21. And all the princes of Nimrod and his great men took counsel together. Put, which would be Libya. Then there's Mitzrayim, which is Egypt. And then there's Cush, which is like around Ethiopia, the land of Cush. And then there was Canaan, which is where you would find Jerusalem today. You know, where the... Um, pretty much where um, Israel uh, is. It was once called the land of Canaan before they conquered it. Okay, so with their families. And they said to each other, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and in it a strong tower, in its top reaching heaven. And we will make ourselves famed, so that we may reign upon the whole earth in order that the evil of our enemies may cease from us that we may reign mightily over them, and that we may not uh, become scattered over the earth on account of their wars. And they all went before the king, and they told the king these words. 
And the king agreed, the king is Nimrod, uh, with them in their affair, and so did, and he did so. And all the families assembled, consisting of about 600,000 men. So that's how many people were alive at this time after the flood. And they went to seek of an extensive piece of ground to build the city and the tower. And they sought it of the whole earth, and they found none like one valley uh, at the east of the land of Shinar about two days walk and they journeyed there and they dwelt there and they began to make bricks and burn fires and burn and build the city and the tower and they had imagined to complete so remember it began in their imaginations which were against god this is how the enemy works on us verse 25 and the building of the tower was unto them a transgression and a sin and they began to build it and while they were a building against the lord god of heaven they imagine in their hearts to war against him and to ascend into heaven. You know, this is what people are thinking today. And interesting parts about this is that, you know, this is no different than what the Bible says. Now, remember, it says building was a transgression, meant they knew better, and it was a sin. But they chose to do it otherwise. They wanted to build this. Verse 26, and all these people and all the families divided themselves in three parts. The first said, now these three parts are going to be important for later. We will ascend into heaven and fight against him. The second said, we will ascend into heaven and place our own gods there and serve them. And the third part said, we will ascend into heaven and smite him with bows and spears. And God knew all their works and all their evil thoughts. And he saw the city and the tower which they were building. Okay, so there, there are three different kinds of people here. One wants to just dethrone God and be their own God. Another group wants to place their gods above God. And the last one just wants to kill them because this is how they feel. So from here, I'll get back into this, but let's go to um, Isaiah 14. And we'll start at verse 12. We're going to find out the motivating force behind what encouraged these people to do what they did. They weren't the ones that thought this thing up. It may seem like a lot of the times you're dealing with man, but... Not in this particular case. This was someone else's dream that he knew he couldn't do it on his own. So what was his goal? He was going to turn the image of God against God. And he's still doing it to this day. All right. So this is Isaiah 14. Everyone there? Almost. All right. We'll start at verse 12. And it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Now, Lucifer was... Satan's name before he fell, it means light bearer. But if you look the name up in Hebrew, it means Hallel. Hallel was his name. This is where we get the word hallelujah. Okay, so he led the praise and worship in the heavens for God. But that was his ancient Hebrew name was Hallel. So it would be praise be to God. So his name was praise. Just how Nimrod had the skins placed on him, Nimrod became a man that God said, okay, if you're going to represent me, I'm going to give you power. Well, Lucifer also had that power, and God gave it to him only to glorify God, but Lucifer wanted to be his own God. So it says, um, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? So you want to know why nations are killing one another and doing whatever? Not believing in God? It tells you right here that Lucifer's behind it. Verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So these were the five I wills of Satan when he was kicked out of heaven that he wanted. If you guys notice, three of those groups of people are on this list. I will ascend into heaven. That's what they wanted to do. Then it says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Remember, they wanted their own gods up there and not the one of the Bible. And then it says, I will, I will sit upon the, the, um, the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, which means as high north as you can go, that's where God is. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And if you want to be like the Most High, then of course you're not going to reign with him. So what's your plan? To overthrow him. You've got to get rid of God. So his plan was to war against God, and this is what he desired. And if you go to verse 15, it says, Yet thou shalt be brought down uh, to, the, uh, to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, or that did shake the kingdoms? So when the Lord actually does away with him in the end and lays him down before everyone, we're going to be in awe that we can't believe that this is what stopped us from believing. Okay, so obviously he's going to be in a very defeated state, probably beat down looking. He's probably like the Wizard of Oz. You know, I'm the powerful Oz. And then you go behind the curtain and it's just a man there. Okay, he's not as powerful as he pretends to be. He is powerful, but nothing compared to the kingdom of God. All right, so this is the part where I'm going to go back to because this is really important. And some people would say, well, the Tower of Babel was old, so why bother reading it? You're going to find out they got plans to have another one. I haven't got pictures to show you, but I should just pass these around. You guys have never seen it. None of us really knows what it looks like, but these were a few drawings that someone uh, came up with that thought that that's oh, on the floor. Oops. There's two different pictures here. You guys can pick either one you think it is, but they claim that's what it looked like. I believe it was even larger than that. The picture that you guys are going to see in a minute, I believe, is what it was really about, but God never let them finish building it. But they, um, it's, it's coming. So anyway, I'm going to go back to this, and then we'll get right into the study. All right, so there were 600,000 men that went against the Lord. Three different groups had three different visions of what they wanted to do. This is verse 27 of um, chapter 9 of the book of Jasher. And it says, And when they were building, they built themselves a great city and a very high and strong tower. And on account of its height and mortar and bricks did not reach the builders uh, in their ascent into it. So the bricks didn't reach them on their way up. But it says, Until those who went up had completed a full year and after that, they reached to the builders and gave them the mortar and the bricks. Thus was it done daily. So it took an entire year from where they were building, from the bottom, just to get these bricks up to the top. Now, I mean, that, that you can't even fathom what this thing would look like, but I think that they have another vision of it that I'm going to show you. But um, it took a whole year, and they did this daily. So imagine what spell these people must have been under just to want to keep doing this constantly. Now check this out. And it says, And behold, these ascended and others descended the whole day, 
and if a brick should fall from their hands uh, and get broken, they would all weep over it. And if the man fell and died, if a man fell and died, none of them would even look at him. So their goal, they pretty much lost their humanity in this project. They were so bent on fighting against God and building this tower that if, if one brick fell down, these people would mourn. I can't believe that this is, you know, oh man, this is just stunting what we're trying to do. So they were so bent on fighting against God that these people were possessed. But if a man died, they would, oh well, you up next, you know, just go up there and do it. So this is how inhumane these people have became. Now, you can see the same thing happening with us today concerning technology. People are on their phones, texting, driving, running people over. Then blame the person. Well, he should have been looking before this happened. We walk down the streets with our heads in our phones, not even saying hi to the people next to us. We don't even know our neighbors. We're so bent on the Internet. But this is a part of the desensitizing to this whole project that we're going to see. And the Lord knew their thoughts, and it came to pass when they were building. Uh, they cast the arrows toward the heavens, and all the arrows fell upon them. Uh, filled with blood. And when they saw them, they said to each other, surely we have slain all those that are in heaven. So the Lord did this on purpose. He made them think that they were killing them. They were shooting arrows into the heavens. Now, I'm believing personally that it couldn't have been regular bows and arrows. I believe they were firing something for real. And that's why I believe man had a greater technology back then than what people believe. They think that it was just all stones and they were living in castles. I believe that the technology we have today, and there are scientists that have even said this, are rediscovering what was in Egypt, what was in Babylon, what was in all these places. But they hide the lie because they want people to believe we're evolving. You know, when God made Adam and Eve, that was the best any man or woman could have been. From here, we began to go downward. All right, so it says, um, this is verse 30. For this was from the Lord in order to cause them to error and in order to destroy them from the face of the ground. And they built the tower in the city and they did this thing daily until many days and years were elapsed. And God said to the 70 angels who stood foremost before him, um, to those who were near to him, saying, Come, let us descend and confuse their tongues, that one man shall not understand the language of his neighbor, and they did so unto them. And from that day following, uh, they, for, they forgot each, each man's and his neighbor's tongue, and they could not understand to speak in one tongue. And when the builder uh, took uh, from the hands of his neighbor slime or stone, which he did not order, the builder would cast it away and throw it upon his neighbor, um, that he would die. So these people were so possessed they couldn't understand. If they said lift a brick up or bring something down, they didn't know what to do. So in their frustration, they would just take the bricks and throw them and kill whoever was there. I mean, this is how possessed these people were. This is all going somewhere, so bear with me for a sec. Verse 34, And they did so uh, many days, and they killed many of them in this manner. Now, there are archaeological... Uh, Archaeologists, archaeologists that will tell you that this is true, that in studying linguistics and things, that there were 70 original languages that spread it from the area of Iraq and went out into the world. You guys can look this up. 
Now that now we have over, you know, how many languages? Maybe 200, 300, maybe more. But they all stem from the 70 original languages. So we know that this story holds true. All right, so it says, And the Lord smote the three divisions that were there, and he punished them according to their works, and designed those who said, We will ascend into heaven and serve our gods, became like apes and elephants. And, um, and those who said, we will smite the heaven with arrows. Uh, the Lord killed them. Um, one man, one man threw his hand and his neighbor. And the third division of those who said, "We will ascend into heaven and fight against him," the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. So we understand that we have one part of what they were saying. All we heard was what the tower was confusing, brought a lot of confusion, and men scattered. But before that point, you know, I mean, well, this is explaining that there was something that happened to two-thirds of those people. And the last part, which the Bible puts the emphasis on, the knowledge went out spreading. But when they spread out, they all spread it out with, with Nimrod's doctrine. The only ones that didn't follow were like Abraham's seed. But then it says, and those who were left amongst them, when they knew and understood the evil which was coming upon them, they forsook the building, and they also became scattered among the face of the whole earth. And they ceased building the city and the tower. Therefore he called the place Babel, for there the Lord confounded the language of the whole earth. Behold, it was the east of the, in the, of the land of Shinar. It's where modern-day Iraq is, right by the Euphrates River. Verse 38. And as uh, to the tower which the sons of men built, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up a third, one-third part of it. And the fire also descended from heaven and burned another third. And the other third is left to this day. Well, it was at that time. And it is of that part which was aloft in the circumference is three days walk. And many of the sons of men died in the tower and people without number. So the circumference of this, of this tower would take three days to walk around. So you know it's not any of the pictures that I just showed you guys. All right? I, I honestly believe we're going to talk about this in a minute. This is what their plan is. This is the new tower that they have up. It's called the Ultimate Tower. They're going to be working on that in a couple of years. Now, that, if you look next to it, you see the tallest buildings in the world that don't even compare with it. But this thing is going to be two miles high. And their goal for building that, and I even have the information, is to build a city because it's going to house a million people and a tower. Is now, the same place? Uh, I think they're going to try in San Francisco this time or some other area out in the desert. Okay, so we're going to get into the scriptures now, but I wanted to bring these points up to show how people would turn against the Lord. And we're being conditioned for that right now is to have an issue with God. You guys have to um, get to the um, books of um, Josephus. Uh, Josephus was a great historian from Rome. He was actually an Israelite that was taken by them. And, um, you know, he had something to say concerning them. But Nimrod became a very um, popular character from there. You had um, the name Marduk, Moloch, Apollo, Dionysus, all these different names of the world where all these religions come from that were pushed out towards, the, you know, all over the earth where we were able to... Um, well, a lot of people believe the same. We'll get back into that. Let's move on. Let's go to um, Psalm 21 real quick. I know this is a lot to take in. It's hard to not read when there's books there, but yeah. What's that? The first one? Yeah. Psalm 21. 
That's yeah. the, the one next to the tower? Yeah. That's the tallest building in the world right now. And look, it doesn't even come up to the base. What's it called? I don't know. Oh. Let me see. Because you can't read them. Oh, the idea was to look at them. Oh. All right, but yeah. I think like the Eiffel Tower or something. I don't know what the tallest. No, the tallest no. is the one in New York. The new no, it's not. It's, it's, Dubai, um, it's in Dubai. Oh, or Ma Malaysia is building another one, too. But Dubai has that big one that looks like a... Um, yeah, it's huge, but it's nothing compared to what they're working on with this thing. And I don't believe, they said it's going to house a million people and it's going to be a city and all that. I don't think that's what's going on. I think, honestly, they're telling people that so construction can begin. But I also believe that it could be a lot more to it. Cause the sounds horrible. Why would you want to live in a building like that? Mm -hmm. I feel like with all of our terrorism and stuff. They claim it's for population control. Oh. But if you read what Josephus said about it, then we understand why the tower was built for that. I don't want to really get into all of this. I want to get into the scriptures, but this is quick. All right, this is what Josephus said. Now, it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront uh, and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and, a, and of great strength of Ham. He persuaded them not to ascribe to God as it was uh, through his means, they were happy, but to believe that that it was their own courage that that procured uh, that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, <laughs> seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into the constant dependence upon his power. So Nimrod was the first humanist. Okay, he told everybody, man, forget God, that happiness is within you. You see how it's in all these other religions that talk that? God in you. You can be your own God. It's the way you see it. But he also became tyrannical, like, I don't want you to fear God, but you better fear me if I tell you to do something. So then it says, seeing no other way and turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into constant dependence upon his power. This is the government today. He also said he would be revenged on God uh, if he should have have a mind to drown the world again uh, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Now, Josephus is a credible source because he copies the Bible like completely. But I believe that there were other references on him that they speak about. So, I mean, this is what um, his plan was, was to build a tower bigger that they couldn't, it couldn't be knocked down. Also, the word Babel means like, you know, Bob means gate, El means God. It was like a gate to God that they're even claiming that it probably wasn't as tall. I believe it was, but they were thinking it could have been like a portal to, you know, I hear them, but I ain't going to agree with that because I don't have any proof on it. All right, this is Psalm... Um, 21 in verse 1 and it says the king shall joy in thy strength O Lord and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholding the request of his lips Selah for thou preventest him uh, with the blessings of goodness thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head so this is what the Lord wants to do verse 4 he asked life of thee and thou gavest it him, even length of days forever and ever. 
His glory is great uh, in thy salvation. Honor and majesty uh, hast thou laid upon him. For thou hast made him uh, most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So these are for the people that follow the Lord, but you're going to see a quick switch. Thine hand shall find out all thine, en all thine enemies. Uh, thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven uh, in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Uh, their fruit shall thou uh, destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagined, there's that word again, a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. So if you knew how many things that these guys are working on, you know, trying to go against God, fight against God. But the Lord is saying that even with all this stuff that they're building and they're doing, it's of no effect. Verse 12, Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back, when thou shalt uh, make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, um, in thine own strength, so will we sing and praise thy power. So what we understand is the enemies of God have imaginations. Their imagination is to either be God or displace God. All right? So this is something that I just wanted to go over that real quick. We'll get back into the scriptures because um, I don't want to waste a lot of time on this. Uh, let me get to one more point before this. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. Now, in order to remember when we uh, did the teaching last week, on um, dualism. I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to that. Did you get a chance yet, Colin, to hear the one on dualism? No. Okay. Because you weren't. That was a Sunday teaching. But what we found in dualism with the whole yin-yang and all these other things going on is that the enemy is once again trying to confuse people and to bring them up under one mind. But they had all these rules. They said yin-yang are two principles that are in-universe male, female, light, dark, and they intertwine. And they make up everything that's in the universe. But then it says they don't stop there. They also break off into other parts. So it's like, man, if you're following that, you'll end up all over the place. Instead of just Jesus Christ is the only way that the Bible is saying that you make it in. Follow Christ and you'll be saved. But dualism had them in too. I mean, all this other stuff. I mean, I don't even have the information in front of me, but... It just sounded so confusing. It's like, man, who would want to follow this? Mm -hmm. You know, so we did a full teaching on that. Anybody listening, soundoftrumpetministries.com, go to dualism and a deception of relativism because when things are relative, they don't point them in, in places of truth. Mm -hmm. No light, no dark. Everything is gray. What you do is your business is your business. What I do is my business. And we're all right. Nobody's wrong. You are the God of your own universe. And see, this is what Nimrod was teaching the people. So this is why these people had the imagination, man, we just want to get rid of God and move on. And that's what this world is waiting for today. This is what NASA is all about, man. I mean, that's another teaching. But people don't understand about when they talk about movies like Armageddon 
and deep impact. There's always some asteroid coming to the earth that mankind needs to stick together to destroy. Let's go to, um, well, let's just do this real quick and we'll move on. But you're going to find out that that asteroid coming to the earth is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. And you watch. That's what they want everybody ready for to try and fight against. And Daniel 2 even tells you, because we don't have time to go there, it'll tell you about at the time of the end of the Gentiles, we're in that last kingdom. Remember the, the iron and the miry clay, a revised Roman Empire. They're, they're talking about that, that image, the rock is supposed to come and smash the bottom of the image, and it's going to fall over. And the Bible makes clear that that image is Jesus Christ. All right, so... Um, 1 Corinthians 3 and um, 15. It says, If any man's work shall be burned, uh, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, uh, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which um, temple ye are. Isn't it amazing, too, that Man wanting to be his own God. Isn't it funny how he won't allow God to tell him, hey, man, let's just be holy. I made you as my temple. I'm, I'm just telling you, hey, let's be holy so we can move up with me. But we want to, nah, man, I'm all right. And I want to go down and roll around in the mud forgetting God. I know, exactly. Well, verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So we know that this is true because, you know, every time man seems to want to have an amazing feat, it just seems like God destroys it or it falls apart. You know, remember the unsinkable Titanic. It was never supposed to sink. This was a major feat of man, and it ended up being, you know, falling apart in the Arctic Ocean. But when you look, or the Atlantic Ocean, when you look at, um, what else? Um, you know, so many things, the Twin Towers, that was supposed to be an amazing feat. And, you know, and all these things ended up coming down. But it seems like every time, like this Tower of Babel, man wants to build something unto himself, God said, I'm just going to wipe this off the map, because... It's not even anything to worship. But this is a part of man and his idolatry. So for those that want to fight against the Lord, he's taking them in their own wicked, their own devices. They don't even understand what powers in God that they're dealing with to even consider yourself something in the presence of God. Every prophet that did amazing works for the Lord came before him. And when they came out of his presence, like Isaiah did, man, they felt dirty, filthy, because they experienced what true holiness was. You recognize quickly in the presence of God, I'm absolutely nothing. You know, I want to know this God so I can have him in me. All right, so from here, let's go to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I just want to make a quick point. But read Daniel 2 in your spare time. It's going to talk about um, the whole thing concerning the five kingdoms. You know, that was considered the time of the Gentiles. The Babylonians, um, they conquered Egypt. I mean, they conquered the children of Israel. They reigned, I believe, from like 600 uh, A.D. to somewhere around like 532, 4-something, maybe. 
they, they had them there, um, and Babylon was wiped out. Remember, the Babylonian king in Daniel 5 turned his eyes away from the Lord to do his own thing. Remember, his dad, Nebuchadnezzar, who was against God, repented and said, you know what? He is God. After God had him as an animal for seven years, but when he came out of that, he recognized, man, your God is God. So what did he do? He tried to serve, but when he died, his son, Belshazzar, came and took over the kingdom, brought back the old idols, all the old works, and then one day he's sitting there at the table having dinner with his people, feeling high and mighty, and he sees a hand comes through the wall and writes, Mene, Mene, Tiki, you farsin. You know, which means like, um, I think Persia was going to take over. God gave favor to Persia because Babylon forsake God. You know, they didn't want the God of the Bible. So this is where Cyrus came in and destroyed Babylon and, and Darius. You know, that's what the Bible talks about in Daniel 5 and 6. But then, you know, eventually they were taken over by Greece. You know, Greece took over, was taken over by Rome. Well, the Greek Empire split into four, like the Bible says, and then Rome took over. And to be honest with you, the Roman Empire never died. We're actually still living in it, okay? Anytime that you get a president that has to go over, he's supposed to be the highest man in the land, right? What's he doing on his knees kissing the Pope's ring? What is the Dalai Lama doing going over kissing the Pope's ring? You know, what is all this stuff going on? What's happening? But if you understand what empire we're in, then you understand why this has to be. All right, so um, this is where we get democracy, the Senate, all these different things that we have today that we believe in. All these things are of the Roman Empire that never died. Rome was like no other time in history with no other empire. No one conquered Rome. Rome eventually exhausted their resources, and I believe they, they fell. I believe it was the coming of Christ and the spread of Christianity which destroyed it. Okay, so what did they do in 325 A.D.? All right, guys, let's get together. And this is where you get the spirit of Babel coming right back to the people today. What did they do? All right, let's stop all this fighting because we're killing the Christians, and it just seems like as we kill one, they're multiplying. They're just growing. It was like the Holy Ghost was just spreading, and people were like, man, take me too. This was so bad that even the Roman soldiers that saw the Christians being persecuted gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So what did they say? All right, man, we got to... This is becoming a problem. So what they did was, you know, they called this council. All right, guys, here's what we're going to do. You can keep your gods, but we're going to introduce our gods. But for the sake of peace, let's just Christianize it. This is where we get Christmas. This is where we get Easter. This is where we get all this stuff that was never in the Bible, only, only considered bad. But this is how they brought everything together. So then you had later on the Reformation came. You know, you had some of the people that were the Protestants that moved on. But see, a lot of them aren't excused either because when they moved on, many of them adopted the Catholic teachings and their roles. This is why Christmas carried on through the church even until this day. You know, so you're not really free from the whore of Babylon until you really accept Christ and then you follow what Christ tells you to do. Because a lot of these churches thinking they're Christian, man, you're lifting up Nimrod. That's who's born on December 25th. All right, that's who the real birth of, of, of them is. And Nimrod was the spirit of Antichrist. So, you know, we got to step outside of that. So, First uh, Thessalonians 5, and we'll start at verse 1. But this is how that mixing, that confusion comes in. And the church has never been the same since. 
1 Thessalonians 5 and 1, and it says, But of the times of the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So this is the Lord telling them that even when these people think, man, when they think they have this new world order, this new government, and going into all these religions, having their own works, and they think that, man, we've we made it. We finally arrived. Here comes the Lord out of heaven, like setting up the pens at a bowling alley. You know, ten pens. It's supposed to be ten horns, right? We got them all lined up, and here comes the Lord right down the middle. Strike. Okay, because it's like, this is what this whole thing is about as far as confusion, as far as throwing people off, getting people into other religions. I can tell you clearly, you guys need to look this up. Nimrod is the god of every religion that is outside of Christianity. Outside of, well, Christianity is a religion outside of Jesus. Look it up. You don't believe me? The, the things that you'll find will be astonishing. I mean, you know, there are so many names for this guy. He is, uh... all right, the infamous character Nimrod in the Bible and many names just as um, Yeshua, Jesus had. So he is the antithesis of Christ. In fact, when you look through scripture and history, you will find that Nimrod is the equal status and exposure of our Messiah, Jesus. Just take a look at these names and begin to sink in how many of these names you recognize that are used in many different ways in our lives. Nimrod, all right? There's the, um, the other one, Gilgamesh. That's what the Sumerians called them that were right around um, Iraq, what you would consider uh, Babylon. Gilgamesh, an interesting point is his tomb was found during the whole war in um, 2003. They found the tomb of Gilgamesh. You guys look this up. They found the tomb of Gilgamesh. The American soldiers were there. They raided the um, Baghdad Museum and grabbed a bunch of information and stuff from there. That was the first thing they did when they came into that land. Then they took um, Gilgamesh's DNA. All right? Now, you guys don't believe me, but that's another name for Nimrod. And then it says um, Gilgamesh, Baal, Apollo. Um, the Lord, well, let's see, Athan, Osiris, which the Egyptians called him, Orion, you know, the Greeks, Ninus, uh, husband of the mother, Narcissus, you know, that was um, Greek, uh, Kamut, uh, Marduk, god of the fortress, Saturn, I mean, Nebogus, or Zer Nebogus, Cupid, which means he has something to do with even Valentine's Day. There's a history on that. Um... Let's see, Destiny, Gibor, the Mighty One, Moloch, who they were sacrificing their children to, uh, the Eternal Boy, Dagon, which is the fish god that the Philistines believed in. This is the, the mitre that the Pope wears on his head. You notice it looks like a fish cap? Well, they're worshiping Dagon, all right, who was none other than Nimrod. And that's why if you look at the um, Queen of the Coast, which when you look on a Starbucks cup, you see the mermaid, that's the Queen of the Coast. That's supposed to be associated with Dagon, all right? So it's all through society, but there are many names. There are even Asian names here for him, you know, um, I'm following this guy. So he was this influential. And this may seem old, but as we read, we're going to find Jesus never forgot about this guy. 
Jesus is telling us about his coming back and what he intends to do. All right. Um, where I want to go. There's just so much information. I'm going to have to cut it down. But uh, let's go to Revelation 9. But he's everywhere. I mean, this character, this is where it's going to get kind of heavy. For Nimrod, Jupiter, Ra, Vishnu, Krishna, Odin to the Scandinavians and China, his name is Panku. I mean, to the Mexicans or those people that were over there, Katiquado. Remember that feathery flying serpent? You know, I mean, he's he's all through society, and even this government loves this guy. Nine. I know it's a lot to cover and understand, but this would be like a five-hour study if I had to, you know, go that long. All right, so this is around the time, you know, towards the judgments. This is when the Lord pours out his seven bowls and things that he wanted to do to you know, destroy those who wouldn't believe. So this is Revelation 9 and verse 1. And it says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So he was given authority of the abyss. That's what the bottomless pit means. The word in Greek is abuso. And then it says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have, um, have power, so they had the, the power to sting. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So this tells you here that being up under the Lord is our protection. You know, you want to have God's seal when times are getting bad. You want to be known of him. So this judgment is not for the believer. This is what it's making it clear of. These are all those people that want to walk in their ways like Nimrod, doing their own thing, enjoying their lives. So it says uh, to them, it was given, and they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. Five is always a number for grace. They should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek to die, or seek death, and uh, shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. So we understand here that death itself is not just a state. Death is a being. That word in the Greek is called Thanatos. It would be what you would have considered like a grim reaper. He has authority over death, you know, to some degree. So it's saying that with these people being stung or whatever, this is God's grace. 
Okay, now this may seem cruel, but these people are only going through this because God is saying, I'm about to destroy everything for all those who are rebellious that don't want to believe in him. But he's allowing them to be tormented, hoping that after this five months is up, these people will repent of their ways and want to come to Christ. All right, verse 7, And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns of gold, and their faces were as faces of men. Can you even imagine what that looks like? Some things spliced or mixed together. Verse 8, And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings were at the sound of chariots of many horses running into battle. So it would have like a roaring sound. Um, when you talk about the breastplates and things, guys, um, go to soundoftrumpetministries.com. Look up the teaching I did on giants. It's called um, There Were Giants in the Earth in Those Days. But that will give you more understanding as to what this whole thing is about concerning them. So, I mean, you know, just from reading this already, how this world wants us to be followers of ourselves, natural-minded, not believing in spiritual things and spiritual power. Look, what we just read so far, you wouldn't even be able to fathom if your mind is not caught up to God. I mean, this is just going to seem so unreal. All right, so um, verse 10, And they had tails uh, like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them. Now, whoever these things are that came out, they have a king that rules over them. And it says, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. That angel can even be messenger. The messenger of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. So who do you think this is? If there were other names for Nimrod, and Apollo was one of them, this is talking about his coming back. Um, I wanted to get to the part where it says that even after the Lord did all this, believe it or not, people wouldn't repent. Right after the judgment was over, they were still shaking their fist at God. They still had hate in their hearts. They didn't want him. You know, they wanted to go on to their destruction. Let's go to um, Revelation 2 real quick. I just want to make a quick point concerning this. But um, I'm sorry I didn't bring it. Oh, actually, I do have it here. All right. It says, who were the Nicolaitans referenced in um, Revelation 2 and 6? So let's go there real quick. Let's read this. And then they'll go right back to uh, where we were. This is when the Lord was telling the seven churches that he hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So we'll start at verse 6. But it says, But this thou hast, that thou hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The word for Nico means ruler or conqueror, and laity means over the common people. So this is not just, um, this is a doctrine that people live by today. When you go into Catholicism, you'll find the Pope sitting there, and, you know, they'll have the bishops and the uh, archbishops and all these guys together. They are the conquerors. And then you got the ignorant masses out there as the laity. Don't even know what's going on. 
don't even read certain things of the Bible unless they're told to read them. Do you know they can't study their own Bible unless they're told to read certain things? The Jehovah Witnesses do this. The Mormons do this. There are so many religions. Even in the false Christian church, you find people listening to what the pastors say, and they'll leave but never having their own study time, never ever learning this Bible except what they're hearing every Sunday. But a pastor sitting up in his high chair, and I'm not trying to knock him, but a pastor is supposed to be a shepherd like he watches over the church, but he's also a servant. Mm -hmm. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. These guys sitting in high chairs with red robes, and they're walking around like they're holier than thou. That is not the image that Jesus Christ wanted to portray. He wanted them to be servants. He that is highest in the kingdom, remember, is least among men. That is a chief servant serving the people. So you have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in churches. And what does Nicolaitan mean? Conqueror of the people. Yep. Mm -hmm. You give me the money, I'll tell you what to say. You worship me, and then you move on. All right, so it says, uh, Nicolaitan means the follower of Nicholas. It originates from the Greek words nikos, meaning conqueror over or, or destroyer. Now, that's what a batter meant, destroyer. And it says, um, and laos, meaning uh, people. The original Nicholas, Nimrod, Genesis 10, 8, was a destroyer of the people. Nicholas is merely the Greek word for Nimrod. Within two centuries after the flood, Nimrod has conquered the people and founded man-made man civilization. Uh, while alive, Nimrod commanded his subjects to worship him in place of God. Even after his death, his followers continued to worship him as a divine heroic leader. He was called Baal. Uh, this, this name means master or lord and is found many times in the Old Testament. This name describes uh, the position, positions that Nimrod took to himself. Uh, to be considered Lord and Master of his creation. But Baal was only one of Nimrod's many names. Another of his names commonly used throughout Asia Minor was, you guys ready for this? Drum roll. Santa. <laughs> yeah. Santa. Old Saint Nick. Nick. Alright, Santa. Uh, that's Langer's, uh, Langer's and Encyclopedia of World History further explains that Santa Claus is a shortened form of St. Nick or St. Nicholas. Mm -hmm. Now, Santa, you spin those words around. What do you get? The letters. Satan. You get Satan. I mean, it's just so obvious. So then it says, um, in the New Testament, the followers of St. Nicholas were referred to as Nicolaitans. See, so this is what Jesus hated. Uh, these people falsely calling themselves Christians honored Nimrod during the Apostle John's time, uh, much as people do today. On what day do uh, most people honor St. Nicholas? Many unknowingly honor Nimrod on December 25th. Christmas was originally celebrated and called the Saturnalia, the birthday of Nimrod or, or, Sa or Saturn. Saturn is another name for Satan. And that's why when they're naming these planets, all these things, man, we got a whole teaching coming up on that. Uh, the customs of this pagan holiday uh, were then passed along and made to appear good and innocent. Uh, people do not know that Christmas honors Nicholas Nimrod, the, f the first dictator uh, and depot, man, desperate. Um, let's see, professing Christians serve to honor Nimrod during Christmas, not Jesus Christ. For more information, read our booklet, blah, blah, blah. You know, we've done studies on this before. 
If you go to let's go to Jeremiah ten real quick. I want to make that point again. The Lord says he he hates this. You know, he talked about the doctrine of those that call themselves Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. And it says Revelation two fifteen, uh, so hast thou also them which hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now this is in red letter, speaking of Jesus. But this is what they're talking about. The Bible will always prove itself. This was a hard thing for me, Christmas and everything. I mean, Jehovah Witnesses are not wrong about everything, but... I mean, there's nothing this book doesn't talk about. Leave no stones unturned. Jeremiah 10 and verse 1. Everybody there? Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. You know, O body of Christ, O church of God. Verse 2, thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs, like traditions, of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, and the work of their hands at the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. So that tells you there, this is clearly a Christmas tree. I mean, deck the halls, you know, deck it with silver and gold. And people get so happy on this day where they're just like, you know, dancing down the hall. Oh, jingle bell. They're all excited. Your boss is nice to you on this day, gives you a nice little bonus. Everybody goes out shopping, and I mean, it's just a wonderful time. But little people know the stuff that goes on on those days, crazy stuff. So, you know, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans you see going on in church. So if anybody goes to a church where you see Creflo Dollar, Joe Olstein, all these guys doing this stuff, this is telling you that this, this, this is the doctrine of Nimrod. To sit above the people, conquer the people, have everybody serving them. Man, if people really knew what a pastor was, very few people would want to be one. I'm only being up front. Revelation 12. I'm going there real quick. Right. Be a servant. Mm -hmm. You know? Very few people would want that office. Mm -hmm. Now, when they talk about the coming of Apollyon, this is in Washington, D.C. This is a statue called the Awakening. It's a bearded man, looks very much like Nimrod. They're actually moving this thing because they don't want people getting wind of it. But this is, you guys can, thanks. But this is a whole thing. If you ever look up what Nimrod looks like in pamphlets, he has that beard, you know, real thick beard, and he's got like one eye covered. But that, they're going to take that out of D.C., or they might have already moved it. So it's just telling you that, you know, I mean, they're expecting something that people that know this stuff know about, but they're not telling you and me. And we're going to cover that. So let's go to Revelation. Um, I've seen it. Huh? I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. You've seen it. And um, it's huge. Yeah. It looks like it's small, but there were people sitting in the palm of their hand if you look at it. So this thing is big, but they're expecting something to come. Matter of fact, let's go to Revelation 13. Sorry. We want to get to the, the point here. All right. Revelation 13. 
Man, this is small print. <laughs> Your Bible has big print. Yeah, that wasn't actually for me. Um, Martin and Laura gave me that. I guess they were sick of me putting it through my face. Man, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. No, I, just, I mean, I had a print that wasn't like that. I'm not blind, but it is real easy going on the eyes. I'll tell you that. This thing, man, you can see from sitting over there. <laughs> but yeah, I got your page set up. Okay. All right. It was right there, wasn't it? Where? Was it? It yeah. was closed from what I saw. Oh. <laughs> All right, so Revelation 13, verse 1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, this beast doesn't mean actual monster. It means, you know, things that are not of the nature of God. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So you know if the dragon is given this beast power, it's not an actual beast, it's a man. Okay, the beast is a man, it's a system, you know, and it's a nature. Okay, but the point he's making here is this man, this beast was set up, given a seat and great authority from Satan himself. Then it says, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. Okay, so a lot of people think this might mean that the Antichrist, because this is who they're speaking of, gets killed and then he comes back and all this other stuff. I actually believe because this beast is a man and a system, I believe they're speaking of a revised Roman Empire coming back. I believe that when it died, like, you know, it lasted 400 years and died, I believe it's now coming back on the scene. And that's why it says one of his heads is it were wounded to death. Because this new kingdom, which these seven heads are, is going to be made of seven empires that preceded it. All right, now you had Assyria, you had Babylon. You had Rome, you had Persia, you had Greece, you have, um, what else? I know I'm missing something. Assyria, okay, um, that's six. And then I believe seven may be the revised Roman Empire, you know, coming back. The one that we're about to step into. So when you look at it, it had the, um, it was like a leopard. The Bible always describes the leopard as stealthy, which he is, but also of the Greek influence. Remember, Alexander the Great was considered this leopard. When he went out to battle, he wore leopard gear. All right? You can even see um, coins of Alexander wearing this leopard headdress. So it's going to have Greek influence. And if you look at the system, Plato, Socrates, Sappho, Homer, you name them. Everybody's influence, even in colleges, is to learn about these guys, how to be a humanist, you know, forsaking God. And getting educated in this society. And none of those men worship the God of the Bible. So then the second would be like a bear. The bear was always considered um, like, well, the bear was considered like Medo-Persia. You know, Medo-Persia, the reason why it's considered a bear is not that it would really have Persian influence or Greek, I mean, or, or a media um, influence. But the Persian armies were always known to be two million strong, massive, large armies. Is how they would just overrun, you know, whatever enemy they had. So this is going to be a massive army. That's the only thing I can really relate to the bear, that it would be huge. And then it has the mouth of a lion, which would be like Babylon. 
You know, now Babylonians were known for witchcraft. This is what Nimrod taught the people to rebel against God. So this system would have the witchcraft in it from Babylon and the mouth speaking great things because Nimrod told the people to do what? Forget God. Pay attention to me. We're going to build this tower and we're going to be, you know, pretty much humanists. We're going to be gods. So this is what the mouth of the lion is. It's going to have the Babylonian influence. And the dragon gave him power and seat and great authority. So, all right. So, it's, all right. The whole world wondered after the beast. We're down at the end of three. So it's saying when people look at this beast or this system, man, who could go against this? I mean, this is massive. It's powerful. It's against God. And, and Daniel 7 even talks about that it stamped over the residue. Remember, with its feet. Read Daniel 7 in your spare time. But it talked about this fourth beast that was dreadful and, and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it trampled the residue. You know what the re you know another word for residue? Remnant. Okay, now God has a remnant. This beast is going to trample over them. All right, that's what it's pretty much saying. It says in Daniel 7 that this beast would wear out the saints of the Most High. I mean, he, he's going to give us a run for their money. The only one that's going to stop this beast is Jesus Christ. I know I don't paint good news, but I try not to look surprised. But it says in verse 4, uh, and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto this beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That would be three and a half years. Remember, the, the, when this guy comes on the scene, he's going to bring three and a half years of peace. He's going to have all the answers to society, just like Nimrod. Nimrod was somebody that said he was going to bring peace. Adolf Hitler said he was going to bring peace. Alexander the Great conquered the known East because he wanted to bring peace. He wanted to bring everybody together. So you see, that spirit of Antichrist was always around. It was always around. That so, is what our latest and greatest president has said. I didn't, read, I didn't hear Donald what, Trump. what he said. That's, that's all he's about is bringing peace. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if it's not him, but, you know. But the thing is, is people want to bring peace. This guy's going to be wonderful to the worldly people. I mean, if you're of the world and you don't know Jesus or you don't want Jesus, you don't have to have him as far as this guy's concerned. Because he's going to, you know, hey, man, you want to know what, what, what the story with these stars? I'm going to tell you. You want to know how to bring world peace? I'm going to have the black people, the white people, all races come together. I'm going to bring a bond of love that everyone comes together. There'll be no disharmony in my kingdom. I won't have it. This is how he's going to be. He's going to come with all the answers to everything in society. This man is going to be loved. He's going to look after homeless people. I mean, he's going to do wonderful works for three and a half years. You know, and isn't it funny how any presidential reign is about four years? Mm -hmm. <laughs> But anyway, you want to say something? Um, just like what I said earlier today when I um, is in Luke 12, he said when Jesus comes back, he's not here to bring peace on earth. No, he's coming with a sword because he's coming so, to break things up. Yep. He's coming to, he know our God knows there has to be war before there's peace. Why? Because this world is rotten to the core. It's got to be plucked up by the roots. You can't just put, you know, baby powder over stink doo-doo and put on a diaper 
It just can't go that way. I mean, this is, even though that we will do works in the kingdom and we win people to Christ and you heal the sick and, you know, you talk to people about Christ and our goal is to win as many souls as we can. Mm -hmm. But the overall problem is Satan is here. He's real. He exists. He's going to fight us forever up until Christ comes and throws his butt in the lake of fire. Okay, but this is our constant battle. So the Lord is not going to come down, establish a kingdom with the devil running mad. So there has to be war before there's peace concerning this. And I'm not preaching war. We don't have war within us. Our job, we're not associated with any country. We're not citizens anywhere. We're not a part of any religion. We are the body of Christ that will do the work of God. Okay? We just bring forth the kingdom with Christ in us to win people to Christ. Everything else belongs to him. This battle is between Jesus and Satan, and the top people in the world know that this is true. Because for all these religions, people that want to believe what they want, you know, and other things, you're not going to believe what you want for long. That might be now, you know, because the goal is to stray away from Christ. But when the Antichrist assumes power, hey, man, you either join up or die. This is the reason. But you see how everybody is so love-struck, all religions are going to come together everybody's going to be, man, love your brother, love your neighbor, forget God, you know, and you're going to be that 1% that's there talking about Jesus Christ is the only true way. Can you imagine with all the racism in this world, all the things that have gone on, all the people hating homosexual, not hating, but speaking against it, being wrong and doing things, all this stuff going on, and you're that one quiet voice, that one little candle blowing, almost about to go out in the wind. And you're talking about, guys, Jesus Christ is the right way. Can you imagine how you're going to upset people? Can you imagine when they say, you know what? We got to get rid of this clown because he's, he's disrupting our peace. So the Antichrist is going to come for peace, all right? And everybody's going to be on board with this who doesn't want Jesus. Just like Nimrod, he's offering them an alternative lifestyle away from the one true God. Tell you, man, he's going to be loved. And, you know, that's why the Bible says even the very elect will be deceived if we don't cling to Jesus. Because this guy will know the Bible. He will know Scripture. He is going to tell you things that will make you, he might switch a word or two, but you're going to be, hmm, you know, um, sounds right. <laughs> you know, might be. But if you didn't read this Bible, you don't know. And, you know, the enemy is always, that spirit of Antichrist is everywhere. I've got to tell this story. I've got to do it. but Because yeah. we've seen it happen too many times. <laughs> we've seen it happen too many times. When Devin was um, coming here, you know, when Devin just said, you know what, I'm recognizing certain things I want to check out and get into. <laughs> Devin was in that store for almost a year, for months, okay, before I started talking to her about the Lord. Right after that, that same week, a Jehovah Witness came in to try and get her to be a part of them, you know. And this week or last week, a Catholic came to go after, I won't say your name, but he came after her, okay. And they tried to get her into their whole little thing and, oh, you're an astute learner, you know, and everything. And, you know, I see you have a spirit for learning. She asked me what a spirit of learning was. I said, that's just his sales pitch, 
You know, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety just to try and get you on board. So they'll always come. Oh, I like those shoes. You know what? We can use somebody like you. You know, because I see the Lord working in you. I can see this happening. This is the goal. The devil will always try and build you up to make you. Yeah, I think uh, I think I found my calling. You know, you didn't find your calling. You found the web of the devil. You know, trying to yank you in. But this is what he does. So I'm just saying that that spirit of Antichrist will always come and try and make you love him. You know, that is the goal. You notice I can care less who loves me. I know the messages I teach are not popular, but, you know, this is all a part of having understanding. And the Lord will deliver us from all this stuff we talk about. There's nothing stronger than the power of God. I believe before we leave here, the Lord is going to have his remnant leave Satan with a black eye before he comes and does what he needs to do. We're not going to go out just like, you know, nothing. I believe that the Holy Ghost in these days is going to pour on us mightily. And we will be able to do strong works and exploits before the Lord, before all. But when the Holy Ghost comes upon us, we're not going to be worried about ourselves. We're going to be worried about pleasing God. Mm -hmm. Even if it means the cost of our own lives, you know what? My kingdom ain't here anyway. I could care less. I'm just doing the will of the Lord. And that's when it means that perfect love casts out fear. Because when you love truly, you don't care about you. It's all about what he thinks, and it's all about doing his will to help others. Yeah. And it's good that it's been broken down in the past to understand that man without God is a beast because you got some people who read Revelation 19 and see he gave power to a beast and think that he's giving power to an actual beast and not instead of a person. If you were to look at Jesus and Satan, I'm glad you brought that up because that put something else in my mind. If you were to look at these two side by side, not Jesus in his true form, but when he came here to the earth, and if you were to look at Satan and who he was or how he portrays himself to these people, you know, you would, there'd be no comparison. If you saw it with your carnal eyes, you would turn to Jesus and say, you see that filthy, ugly man over there? He's of the devil. You see, but this guy here shows love. He looks good. He's clean. He's got perfect teeth. I mean, he's just... He's, he's loving. This guy over here is offensive. So that's why we need spiritual eyes to be able to understand what's what. Jesus did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. You think he was going to come wrapped in gold and looking beautiful? The Bible says Jesus was so unattractive, you wouldn't want to look at him twice. Okay, so of course the devil, because of his true form, you wouldn't want to look at him twice. Mm -hmm. He comes as an angel of light. He comes handsome. He comes astute. He comes welcoming. Because he works on your senses. Because he can't deal with your spirit. So he's only going to touch in your sensuality. Ask any pimp. He knows. Pimps don't go and get women to join his, his group. By you know by being mean. That comes later. But in the beginning. Girl man you look so good. You look like the sun setting on a waterfall in the springtime baby. Man, you the most beautiful girl I ever saw. Right. And they date them. And then eventually turn them out. But that's a that's that's all a part of how Satan is. And he usually goes after the rejected souls, too. Mm -hmm. Those that ain't got fathers or anything like that. And the spirit behind them will be able to tell. You ever wonder how, man, man, this guy gets a lot of girls. This guy has a divining spirit upon his life where he can say, let me look at her. I think I know what I'm going to say to her. And at no player gives a woman the same rap. I know. 
No, no player does that. He'll tell one one story and then tell one another story. But his plan is to destroy you. His plan is not to be with you. All right, now that we said all of that, you know, I was giving some uh, info about him. So it says in verse, uh, verse 6, And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So this is not a battle we're going to win. Hold where you are. We're going to Revelation 12, which is right next door. And it says, we'll start at verse 10. Revelation 12 and 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So Satan can no longer accuse us because Christ has taken that place. Verse 11, and they overcame him. Overcame who? Satan, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and, by, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So because of the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ being crucified, we were able to, you know, be clean and washed in Christ to do the things of Christ, having Christ formed in us. That's what the blood was for. It was for that atonement to be paid. We take Christ. He washes our sins clean. We walk in his way. So we overcame the devil because of Christ being able to be formed in us, us being washed clean. And by the word of our testimony, who do you cling to? I cling to Jesus Christ. Okay, so your allegiance is to him. And they love not their lives unto the death mean that they are Christ conscious. They could care less what happens to them. Am I pleasing the Lord and doing his will? So in some ways, we're sacrificial lambs too. Mm -hmm. You know, just going forward for the Lord, laying our lives down, doing what he calls us to do. So we can go back, but I just wanted to bring that point because this is how we overcome. We don't overcome by binding the devil completely. We may be able to bind him in certain situations when we're casting out devils, and people are being delivered by the power of the Holy Ghost. But overall, that battle will never be finished until the return of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. And overcame them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. You remember what we read in Genesis 11. The people were of one mind and of one speech. So this guy is going to have the same power that Nimrod had to rule over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. This is why everybody's being conditioned to hate Jesus Christ. All right, then in verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So it sounds like here we only got two choices. You can choose Christ, or anything else is going to be Antichrist, which is going to lead you the Bible is saying you will worship this individual if you don't accept Christ one way or another. Even if you know who he is and you're too afraid, you know, of him because you don't have enough faith in Christ, you will bow the knee. So that's what it's about. He'll make you. All right. Slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, pay attention. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. 
He that leadeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. So the Bible is saying if you're led into captivity in those days, you're going to go into captivity. If you're killed with a sword, you know, or, or those people that live their lives, they'll be killed with the sword. And it says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. While all hell is breaking loose around you, Christ in you is going to stand strong during the test of time. Remember Matthew 7, the winds came and the floods and they beat upon the house and the house just, you know, stayed strong because it was founded on the rock, which was Christ. But they said for the other house, those that were foolish that didn't want to believe or obey, said the winds came and all that and the house fell and great was the fall of it because there was no foundation. You got a lot of people out there that know the devil is real, try and fight against the devil void of Christ. And this is the devil's kingdom. Read Matthew 4 if you don't believe me. Mm -hmm. Satan told Jesus, I offer you all the kingdoms in this world if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus didn't take the deal, but Nimrod did. There are people in this world that are running the world took the deal. So he tried to make Jesus one of his little, you know, all right, I'll make you Alexander. Or you'll be another Hitler, or you'll be this guy. If you worship me, I'll give you a kingdom for a moment in time. Jesus is like, my kingdom is forever. My kingdom is not of this world. Like, man, you can't offer me that. So, And Jesus knew that, but he was speaking to the flesh of Jesus, you know, trying to get him to lust after that which is here. All right, and I beheld another beast coming out of the earth. Now, everybody know who this is. If the first one was the Antichrist, who's this one? It's the false prophet. All right, so he beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And I believe this right here, you know, has a more significance than we know. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake like a dragon. So he looked like Joe Osteen, but when he spoke, he sounded like a dragon. He was kind. He was friendly. He looks, you know, man, this guy's a nice guy. Tell you, man, the devil in his tricks. He spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them which dwelleth therein to worship the first beast. So the uh, false prophet is going to be the guy that caused the one world religion. He's going to bring everybody together to go against the first beast. To go, I mean, to go and worship this uh, person. And that's why when Nimrod bounded the people that were there, when they spread out, all these false religions came into being. But if you look at them, they all believe somewhat around the same. Because it's religion itself, it's what we believe that brings us all up under one system. So it's what we believe is going to make us either not obey God and follow Satan or the other way around. And he doeth great wonders uh, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. So he's going to be like Elijah. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image unto the beast uh, which had a wound uh, by the sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast so that the, the image would both speak, image of the beast should both speak and cause all caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So you've got to worship. And he causeth both small and great, both rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So if you're into this world, in this system, whether you're rich or poor will not save you from this. 
you're going to join because you love the world. Remember, they all have one thing in common. They were of one language, one speech, one understanding. And their understanding was, I love the world and I hate God. Verse 17, so when it says right here in their foreheads, hand represents allegiance, but it also means your works. In your forehead would be your thoughts, how you see the world, how you see God. Okay, so it's how you see it and it's the works that you do. 17, that no man may buy or sell save he that had a mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this right here is going to knock out four or five billion people easy. All right, you can't buy or sell. If you are so into the world, imagine what you're going to think like. Wait a minute, so you're saying I can't get food if I don't take this. So you see, right away, people that don't fast, that don't pray, that don't believe in their God, that are seeking alternative sources, because I'm believing if this thing happens in my lifetime, I believe what the Bible says, manna will fall from heaven. All right, the power of God will be on display. He, and, and then there's, version, there's uh, verses in the Bible that says, God's not going to leave his people in these times. For those who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. If you don't know him, ain't no need to call on him. You're not even going to believe. You're going to feel like, man, this ain't possible. What am I praying to the sky? I'm, I'm hungry. My baby's over there crying and they can't eat. So right away, you're going to find billions of people that are going to flock to, man, just give me the mark. You got pastors and churches telling people that if they accept this mark, God will forgive them and they'll be okay. I tell you, man, you got to be careful where you go. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him have understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score and six. Mm -hmm. So the number is 666. Um, when it talks about you know, count the number of the beast. It's a number of a man. Man was born on the sixth day, made on the sixth day. So was the beast. Beasts were made also on the sixth day. So if you don't go into that seven, which is God conscious, which is in the spirit, that's what seven represents, then you're, you're nothing more than you never reach your full potential. If you take a thousand percent and you got two thirds of that percent that is not like God. I mean, like, well, that third percent, which would be the spirit or that third, that that one third that would be in the spirit. If, you, if we're like a thousand percent, that's considered a whole. If you take away that one third outside of God, what do you get? 666%. Okay, that's, and I'm not saying that's what it means entirely. But if you're not God conscious, if you don't have that part of God, you're only a percentage of what God made. So what can you be with this? You can be man, that's one six, fallen man, two sixes, degenerate man. Okay, you'll be nobody. You'll never reach that part of God. Feeling that, that's that void that's always missing. Exactly. That's exactly. And that's why we can have what we want in this life. I didn't stop caring about money. I worked on Wall Street. I made great money. I did great at the New York Stock Exchange. But still in all, there was something in me that when I looked around that, that trading floor, I saw men there 40 years can barely walk, cheating, you know, doing all, all types of stuff, doing drugs, doing all, I mean, these guys are pitiful, miserable. And it's like, man, you're making $7 million a year, but they're hooked to the money. Why? They got kids everywhere. They got mortgages everywhere because these guys live beyond their means. You think Satan's going to make you happy because you got money? And one thing, if you give your allegiance to Satan, 
Let's go to Revelation 17. If you, um, you make your allegiance to Satan, and anything that Satan has, he can make you rich. Those people will tell you, man, I've, I sold my soul. Katy Perry sung a song on it. She sold her soul to the devil. So I'm, yeah. I looked up this song she did called E.T., you know, and it talked about her love relationship with some being. Hey, that's going to be reality soon. So, I mean, people can believe what they want. All right, Revelation 17 and 1, because I know we're, we're short on time. I don't even know what time it is, but Revelation 17 and 1, and it says, And there came one of the uh, seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will shew unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth on many waters. So one thing about this whore, it sits on many waters. It's everywhere. All right. Uh, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So whoever this um, whore is, she's you know, fornicating with every king, pushing the belief systems everywhere, and everyone is on board with her. All right, so it says, um, and they all drank of the wine of her fornication. So they're drunk with her belief system. Now you know how, why those people built that tower of Babylon and could care less about a life falling on the ground. They were just trying to build that tower. They were drunk. They were drunk with the wine of whatever Nimrod was pushing. Spirit of Antichrist, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. We will later understand that. Remember when we were talking about what Alice Bailey said? She said, um, make an interfaith movement and get the, um, the churches to endorse it. Remember mm -hmm. when she talked about having the churches endorse it? That that would be... Uh, um, that would be the government carrying this harlot, carrying this woman. Okay, all right, I want to preach my religion or get people to believe, but I've got to get the government to pass laws to make it legal to get everybody on board to carry this belief. All right, so it says, um, so he carried me away in the spirit. Oh, I read that part, right? All right, so verse 4, and it says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Now, this means a lot of stuff. This means also that it would be royal. Whatever this religious system would be would be royal. But there are people in the world that when they're doing their religious works, they have gold and silver, and they wear scarlet, and they wear purple. All right, you guys know who that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the, the hierarchy with a golden cup in her hand. Think about it, the Pope's golden chalice. All right, and then it says, um, with the abominations and filthiness of her fornication, they've got their hooks in every religion in this world. Verse 5, and upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So one, it's a mystery, meaning it wasn't around yet, okay? Catholicism was not around yet, even though it's not that alone. But it calls it Mystery Babylon. Why? Because it's going after what Babylon represented, what Nimrod represented. 
You see how even to this day that belief system is still pushed up. This here is, what, 60 A.D., maybe 90 A.D.? The temple and everything was already destroyed. Rome had taken over. But they're calling this a mystery. Babylon ended years ago. But you see how the beliefs are still there. So it's a great, it's, it's the mother of harlots. Not just a harlot. Not just a whore. Not just a false religion. It's the mother of false religions that got everybody on board with it. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. You know, since Catholicism's been around, nobody's killed more Christians than they. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to represent themselves as the church? You have got to be kidding. They haven't changed one thing. So it says she's drunk with the martyrs of Jesus, the witnesses of Jesus. And I saw her and wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, uh, with, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. So John is going to break it down. What are these seven heads and ten horns? The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast was not, was and is not, and yet is. This is a mouthful. It talked about that this beast that I saw it, it, it was and is not. So he existed before, but then he was not, but yet he is. So they're actually talking about Nimrod. We read in Revelation 9, out of the bottomless pit, this individual would come. Remember, Apollyon, what did they call him? The destroyer. Going into perdition means going into destruction. So this is what he would do. This is who they're speaking of. Now, some people would say Nimrod is dead. How can he come back? I'm gonna, I know I'm going to lose a lot of people with this, but I'm going to say it anyways. They don't make movies like Jurassic Park for no reason. They're telling you, when Hollywood tells you something, they're telling you what they can do. The Egyptians always talked about mummifying the bodies so that they would go into the other world, the underworld. They would go into another place. People got to understand what they meant. They weren't talking about plunging into hell. They were talking about having their DNA preserved long enough that they may be discovered that they may live again. Now, what's going to happen here with Nimrod, because I know, hey, people are going to have to study to understand what I'm saying, you know, but with Nimrod, Nimrod's soul is gone. Nimrod will never return. But the, what, they can make someone through DNA look like him. But in this body will be Satan. If Jesus was God incarnate, then the Antichrist is going to be Satan incarnate. You understand what I'm saying? So they're talking about, and just look up the body of Gilgamesh that they found in 2003. That Iraqi war had nothing to do with freedom. It was about going over there and getting those bones so they can do what they needed to do. They raided the Bad Dag Museum and took lots of, um, what do they call those things? Um, what? Like artifacts and all sorts of things. Because they know that these things have power and what they can do with them. I know I'm not speaking to a natural-minded, you know, thing here, but, you know, people are going to have to research it and see. All right, so he comes out, and those names that are not written of in the Book of Life, those that are not following Christ, We'll, we'll um, wonder after this beast. Man, he's great. You know, just what we were talking about. 
All right, so it says he was and is not and yet is. That means he's coming back. Verse 9, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Mountains can mean hills, but they can also mean empires. There were seven empires that came. All right, there was Rome. There was Assyria. There was uh, Egypt. There was Persia. There was Greece. Um, there was, I guess, a revised Roman Empire. I have my own belief on what the seventh was because a revised empire, you know, would come back. That's what they're talking about. So it would be um, those seven. Rome would be there twice. Or you can even say Babylon would be there twice since they're considering, you know, it was Babylon the Great. Am I making sense? Because I don't want to tongue tie you guys. If you have any questions, please ask. So these were seven empires that are going to be a part of this system. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. All right, so it says five kings are fallen. They would have been five kings of these empires, okay, that existed and they died. They said there is one now. So this one now would be Nero Caesar since at the time he was uh, emperor when this was going on. You know, Nero Caesar was around during the book of Revelation. So he would have been one of those kings. And then there was, um, they say he must continue a short space because they said the other has not yet come. I believe that will be Nimrod II or whomever. Then it says, and the beast that was and is not, even he is, uh, is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So he once existed, but now he's coming back. So he's of the seven. He was one of those kings of the past. And then it says, These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. One mind. There will be no independent thinking in this kingdom. You either accept what they're telling you through their brainwashing, through their education, through their religious beliefs, or you can't make it. Now notice that number one popping up again, just like we saw in Genesis 11. They were one language and one speech. All right, let me continue. I know we got, we're short on time, but it says, um, verse 14, These shall make war with the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So those that are with Christ are called. The Lord has called everybody. Okay, to come forward, but most of us, most people won't take that call, all right, and they're chosen. The Lord says, I've called everybody, but the chosen are those who, yeah, you seem like I can use you, you're serious about this, and then there's faithful, meaning that we have to be like Christ or of his ways. So they have to be called, chosen, and faithful, 15, and he saith unto me, the waters which thou um, sawest, where the, where the horse sitteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, just like we saw in Genesis 11. They're bringing back the same system. So if the same system comes back, why wouldn't Nimrod come back? It only makes sense. Uh, verse 16, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. The whore is a religious system. So these people 
Once they've achieved what they wanted, once they've got their one world religion, they're going to hate the very religion that brought all these people as one up under them. They want to destroy it now. There's no need for you. See, so that's why when people are a part of this whore, you think that Satan is going to treat you as good as God. God intends to rule with his bride. Satan ain't going to rule with his bride. Mm -hmm. Satan is like a no good man. You go out there, you bring all the people to me. But I'm, I'm going to do away with you when I'm done with you. That is always the sign of a man that is like not of God. Because he has that user mentality. Hey, I once knew a guy like that. All right? But I'm just saying that... When he's done, he'll never, like, take you with him. It'll never be you and me, baby, you know. We're going to do this, and we're going to have this, and we're going to rule together. It's, man, I've used you like a toilet, like a, like a latrine. Leave me. This is, this is Satan's heart. God wants to rule with his bride. Is why he's trying to call us all to come. Come to the marriage supper. Be with me. All right, so they'll hate her. And they'll burn her. So they'll get rid of the religious system. 17. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So when it says God um, put in their hearts, it means that God, one, he exposes himself, but he also allows. Okay, because the Lord will not violate your free will. He's not going to make you go out and bring people into destruction. All the Lord has to do is reveal himself to us, and we know who we are. If we make mistakes and the Lord comes before us, then we'll be butter before heat. We'll melt. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Lord, I didn't mean to do that. You know, help me get through this, get better. That's a person that'll be warm. But if what's in you is rock hard, if you are clay and you put heat to clay, It'll get hard, and that's all that has to happen. So when God hardened somebody's heart, it's not because he made it happen. All he did was show up. I mean, there were people I thought, man, were really nice people. Like, man, they don't go to church, but they're sweet. Preach this gospel and see that you MF, blah, 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 get out of my face. I don't give a bleep in what you got and this and that. That's what's coming out of the person. I don't want your God. I don't want you. You're like, man, I thought they were cool. But that's what's inside of the heart when God exposed himself. Verse 18, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. We may not have time for Revelation 18, but this talks about the king, this kingdom, that will be destroyed. Okay, uh, what time? It's like really? 7.50? Yeah, we got to end this, but... Um, I'm just going to, I'll zip through this real quick, really quick. I'm not going to hold you guys anymore. We started after 5, though. I mean, it was a little while. I think it was like 5.15 we started, something like that. I'm trying to say and make excuses for holding everybody, but. <laughs> All right, so Revelation 18 and 1, and it says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having, a, uh, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he carried mightily with a, uh, with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Uh, unclean and hateful birds are false religions in this case that they're speaking of. So this is what Babylon the great has become. When the Antichrist comes and he has a system, Nimrod builds that tower of Babel or gets everything back to where he wants it, 
it will be full of devils and unclean and foul spirits and unclean birds. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through her abundance and her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath um, remembered her iniquities. The Lord is telling people, if you're in this system, get out of her. Come out of her, my people, you know, to follow the Lord. Something that he always wanted, because what we pledge allegiance to, we will be judged the same. Okay, if you side with them, then you're going the exact same way. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, uh, double according to her works. In the cup which um, hath filled people with her double. So the Lord is saying, give back to this system what they gave unto people. So I don't want to go through all of this, but the Lord is talking about all the merchants of the world, those that trade, those that buy and sell, those that have accepted the mark, that are in this system, that love this city. The Lord is about to destroy. That's why they're saying Babylon the Great is fallen. When you go to Revelation 19, you understand that the Lord is returning, and this system is going to try and fight against him which he will destroy. So in your spare time, read Revelation 18 and 19. But the end of Revelation 18 says, verse 22, And the voice and harpers and musicians and the pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all ending, and no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be. So whatever you're into, whatever your degree is, ain't going to matter anymore. And whatsoever craft he be shall be found um, any more in thee. And the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. So they're talking about trumpeters. I think, honestly, this is speaking of America. In my personal opinion, America is that place that everybody loves. But as you see, people of all the countries of the world are hating America. America is known as the great whore. This is the one place where you can have freedom of religion and no one will bother you. So this has become the habitations of devils, you know, out there whoring with the other gods, doing everything. America is the, is the country that has less morals than any other country. And that includes any country that the world demonizes. You can talk about Islam. You can talk about China, Russia. None of them have the stench that America has. And I'm being upfront. At least one thing, they cling to what they believe and they fight for it. But in America, you can be anything you want. I mean, there are other countries that know sodomy is wrong. They know bestiality is wrong. They know all these other things are wrong. But you've got America signing off on it. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Because they just want everybody into this beast. All right, uh, 23. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be uh, heard no more at all in thee. For the merchants were the great men of the earth. For by their sorceries, by their pharmacia, by their drugs, by their witchcraft, uh, were all nations deceived. It's no wonder we're a pill-popping nation today. I'm telling you, you, you don't know the side effects of some of the things they do. The Greek word for sorceries, Christina did a very good teaching on that, and we've talked about it in the past, were the pharmacia. That's what sorcery means, pharmaceuticals. All right, 24. 
And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So 19 is the return of the Lord. We don't have time to go into that. Uh, I know I said that, but I just love this story, guys. I got to read one part of this. All right. Um, verse 10. We'll start at verse 10. We're at 19 and 10. Revelation 19 and 10. This is what we're waiting for. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy uh, fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, um, Jesus uh, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You go through this Bible. Man, this Bible is telling you ahead of time what's going to happen. Who can do that but God? Verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge uh, and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and I mean, on his head were many crowns. That means he had all the titles, everything due to a king, a true ruler. And he uh, had a name written on him that no man knew but he himself. So Jesus is going to have another name written on him that nobody's going to know but him. 13, and I, and I was... And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine um, linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, uh, that, that with it he should smite all the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron. They're talking about the millennial reign. Christ will be here for a thousand years when he returns. He's going to show people on this earth what it truly meant to be ruled by God, you know, to walk in his ways. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron, meaning he's going to be strict. You're not going to believe what you want in his kingdom or do what you want. You get in trouble, you go before Christ. That's what's going to happen. So it'll be exciting, but in the same breath, you know, you want to do right. Uh, and he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this is, I just wanted to read that, but he's going to come. He's going to destroy this old system. He's going to reestablish what was. When that thousand years are up, we will be with Christ and the Father, knowing him as he is, knowing what Adam and Eve had, glorified bodies of light, being with Christ, walking in the kingdom. Streets paved with gold. Henry Groover had visions, and even the Bible talks about it. Gold so clear that it's transparent. Now, when you know when gold has all the impurities taken out of it, it doesn't look yellow. Mm -hmm. It looks like like mirror almost, like really clear, really like a beautiful look to it. But we don't want to miss out on this. You know, we want to get rid of this this system that does nobody right, full of pain, full of grief, full of torment, full of decay. You got a decaying body from the moment you you're born. You are scheduled to die. But Christ is talking about being with Him and living forever. Now, some people may say, "Well, I don't know if that's true." But look at what you do put your stock in. Look at what we do believe if we don't take this. You get to be here in this world. You come up, experience pain and grief. We live, possibly make our mark in the world, and then we die and return to dust, and that's the end of it. Even the Hindus and Buddhists won't accept that one. They'll tell you, we get reincarnated, and you come back again in another life, 
and you can be somebody new and do something else. No one's ever observed that either. But see, even they don't want to accept that, what are you saying? All I do is live and die? The Bible says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, it is permitted for man to once die, and after that, the judgment. The reason why things like reincarnation are given by Satan is for this purpose, so you can waste the life you have now and miss out on being with Christ, miss out on being there. Man, Henry Groover said, and others, man, that have had these visions, that not just seeing the colors bright in heaven, you can taste them. You can smell them. Imagine just grabbing something, mmm, blue. That's what blue tastes like. This is what yellow tastes like. I mean, you're going to live for real. All your senses, you think they're heightened now. They're going to really explode into reality and what God is. God just wants us to reign with him. And he knows that this world is scheduled to be burned up. So why would you want to put all your stock here? You want to pursue the Lord and all that he has for us. He made you so he knows what you're worth. He knows everything that's wrong with you that can be built over. You can see this world with different eyes. You can receive revelation in Christ. Nimrod, all he can offer them was false hope. He had a great vision. The Bible says that nothing that he imagined to do would be restrained from him. So he had a great vision. But unfortunately, those people followed him to their own destruction. Also in Revelation 18, it talks about that God will take out two-thirds of those people of the earth. Two-thirds of the earth will die off, and God still in his mercy calling on that last third, man, believe in me. I don't want to send you to hell. I don't want you to miss out. You know, believe Christ. I know I don't paint the best messages, but the message here is, through confusion, through subtlety, through that which the devil wants us to be a part of, you know, we've got to be single-minded, seek Christ, and learn the truth in Christ. No one can write. Jesus, I mean, this is written by, I mean, think about it. All the stuff written, it sounds like he knows what's happening. No one can make this stuff up. Mm -hmm. And prophecy coming true like that? Yeah. This ought to tell you, man, we only got one God, one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Compare any book to this one. I challenge anybody. They may have good morals and things, but no one's telling you the beginning from the end with great accuracy. The people that run this world, they read this Bible, so they know what to do to you. All right. I'm sorry, guys, but, you know, either way, let's get to know Jesus Christ. Let's love him. All he wants to do is love us, and we won't let him. He just wants us to be made perfect like Adam and Eve were, walking with him in the cool of the day. So, you know, stay out of this Babylonian system. Seek Christ. Not a man, not a dictator, not a president, not anybody that's thinking that they're going to give you something. All Satan could offer Jesus was this existence here. He couldn't give him eternal life. You want to seek the Lord and all he has, casting down imaginations. Anybody want to pray? Because, I mean, I'm always asking Sarah, but you, know, you guys are more than welcome to if you, if you wish. Okay. You want to pray? pray? Sure. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today, and thank you for the powerful message that you gave Derek to deliver. And thank you for blessing the people that are listening to this. And I just ask that you light a true fire within them, Lord. And Lord, I just ask that you give us the strength 
to push past this evil wave of antichrist coming lord and i know now with donald trump as president that more than anything we truly need to turn our attention to jesus getting to know him and truly preparing for the things that are to come and please bless the people that weren't able to make it here today lord and just be with them and please deliver the message some way that they'll still be able to hear it lord and that's pretty much what i have unless anyone wanted to add in jesus mighty name i pray amen, amen. with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.